shall we commence? Yes. All right. Are we young? <sighs> this is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Letterboxd. This is Ben Sears at Ben Sears on Letterboxd. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. And welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show, each episode. You can find more of our work at obsessiveviewer.com, and you can also like us on Facebook and join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash theobsessiveviewer. And if you'd like to support what we do here, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer, where we regularly post um, exclusive content for Patreon in audio format. So we have different reward or different, uh, different membership tiers at the $1 level at $1 per month. You will have access to, um, tons and tons and tons of B-roll episodes of us just bullshitting and talking about stupid stuff, um, before, e- before recording each episode proper. And then at the $2 a month level, you get that plus, uh, TV reviews and reaction recordings from me. So I've done, uh, reaction recording reviews of every episode of Loki, every episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, every episode of Lisey's Story, and uh, full season reviews of Rutherford Falls, and um, oh, uh, full series review of Superstore, and a bunch of other stuff. And then uh, you get that, and then if you pledge $5, you get all of that that I've said, plus movie commentary tracks that I'm going to be resuming soon. And then finally, if you want to just give all your money to us at the $10 a month level, you get everything instantly available to you. And then also early access to podcast episodes and previously unreleased content, including a special on, on the scene, on site, uh, recording that Ben and I did at the living room theater that was going to be a full episode. And then, uh, I, didn't make it a full episode so <laughs> it's on patreon at ten dollars so uh yeah so uh yeah again that's at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer and uh yeah i'm your aforementioned host matt hurt and with me today is of course tiny and recurring co-host and contributing reviewer for obsessiveviewer.com ben sears how is it going you guys bueno good nice and don't forget to include when you uh pitch your patreon uh if you subscribe to the uh the tv reactions you get to hear matt sing along to the Ah, marvel theme song yes (laughs) yes that is the big driving force of that um yeah having done this for eight years with with him ben Mm -hmm. that's really Mm -hmm. not that special Um, he does that with everything (laughs) that's true it is it is something i do so just to give you guys a Reference our Lisey story episodes. (laughs) It's it's hard. Yeah. So, like, here's an example of me doing an intro for a Loki episode. Thanks for starting this, Ben. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, God. I didn't know he had it queued up. (laughs) Oh, shit. Loki is on Disney Plus, and it's one of the better MCU shows that has come out on Disney Plus. And I know that I just kind of rhyme disney plus with disney plus but i'm not a musician and i don't know how to sing but this is just an example for patreon so now we're gonna resume this episode of ov
That was one of your better efforts. I, I'm actually really proud of that. That was, that was actually not bad. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so that's yeah. a fun thing. So you do get to hear that, a uh, little bit of flexing my creativity. What, um, when, yeah. when are you going to review High Key? <sighs> God damn it. <laughs> that took me a second. Hey. <laughs> I'm actually really proud because I have not made the, <laughs> I've not made the remark of, oh, this is a low key good show. I'm but, surprised yeah, wow. I, and amazed, I really. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You've lost your step. I know. Yeah. I know. So anyway, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to also be doing, um, probably going to be doing um, episode reviews of uh, Marvel's What If and maybe Schmageddon, Schmageddon or whatever on Apple TV. Schmageddon. Okay. Hmm. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. But anyway. Oh, oh, and I do have, I shouldn't, probably shouldn't say this, but exclusive for you guys. Um, I'm planning on something a little special for season reviews of I Think You Should Leave. Um, basically, I'm going to go sketch by sketch and talk about each individual <laughs> sketch. Um, so that's at the $2 Patreon level. So all that is, uh, you know, a lot of stuff. So anyway, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. And, uh, yeah. So how are you guys doing? Are you guys excited to record episode 347 of obsessive viewer? Yes. Totes my goats. Nice. Nice. Yeah. We got a yes from Ben and a totes my goats from tiny. Yep. Um, good, good. Um, so, uh, yeah, this is part, I think nine of our Ebert's great movies list series. Uh, today we're going to be talking about star Wars. Do the Right Thing and Spirited Away in that order because that is chronological order from release date. But before that, we do have some housekeeping and some news to break and everything. Um, ben, uh, do you want to uh, tell us about the conclusion of the Happy Valley uh, <laughs> essay series on Midwest Film Journal and your new <laughs> endeavor? Sure. Uh, yeah, it's a bittersweet moment. Mm-hmm. It's the end of one road and the beginning of another. Uh, yeah, a couple, uh, two or three weeks ago, uh, the last, uh, entry in the Happy Valley was posted, Mm -hmm. uh, where I ranked all 48, uh, 46. 48. Uh, Happy Valley, Happy Madison movies. I thought there were like 18. No. 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 Jesus. If only. It's, (laughs) (laughs) and it's insane because you wrote essays for each individual one. Uh, yes and no. With I mean, asterisk. I, 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 uh, <laughs> combined, uh, mm. Paul Blart 2 and Joe Dirt 2. Okay. How could um, you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a question for another podcast. Yes. Um, but yeah. Uh, and then, <laughs> oh, uh, so that was the end of that. Um, Before you get into your next, next thing, how do you feel about, Happy Madison now. How do you feel after this and after you've concluded this? And are you going to be updating it every time there's a Happy Madison movie? Um, I think I probably will update it. Yeah. Um, and it feels so weird now, I guess just (laughs) because like I, I finished, I went through a real bender with those Mm -hmm. and just, I guess I just wanted to get them out of the way. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, but I finished them like back in like, April or something. So oh, I've yeah. been, I've been starved for uh, Happy Madison content for <laughs> two months or so now. Wow! Uh, wow. So you poor man. <laughs> yeah. I know. Uh, I'm going through withdrawals. Forty-eight. <laughs> it's insane. I'm, I'm I'm happy, so happy that I didn't know that number. <laughs> I'm Madison, but I didn't know that number. <laughs> nice. Um, 
But you got 48. God, I never would have guessed that number. I would have said yeah. like maybe 25. Yeah, and, and that's part of uh, 46. Is okay. 46. Number. Still, um, that's unacceptable. <laughs> <laughs> and that is kind of like I when I... Uh, first started it like I I looked it up and I was like okay there there can't be that many mm. and then I looked it up and yeah there there is that many did you commit to it before Jeez. you knew the number uh more or less <laughs> okay how did that come about too did you just pitch that to Evan over at Midwest Film Journal um no I okay. so they they have a column that mm. they kind of do semi regularly where people can just rank like franchises okay where they like you could do like transformers or mm-hmm. uh i've thought about doing like the resident evil series so okay. nobody else can lay claim to it i said it first <laughs> um so i thought about doing something for that and i just got to thinking like what could i do that could be kind of outside the box mm-hmm. and then i yeah i i looked up happy madison and mm-hmm. wow it got to be so much like I didn't think I could just do it all in one article. Right. Know? So I just kind of expanded it from there. Whew. Cool. Jeez. I have Oof. a soft spot for the Resident Evil franchise. Mm. Or just the movies. Yeah. yeah. Like the games, I wasn't really, wasn't really my thing. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Then Paul W.S. Anderson's a goofy dude. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I may still do the Resident Evil because I've mm. only seen, I think I've only seen the first one. Really? Uh, yeah. You're in for a treat. <laughs> I think there's seven. That's what I was yeah. going to say. And there's at least six. There's at least six. I, I remember I looked it up once upon a time, and I think there might be a like a reboot or something coming mm-hmm. out. Yeah, maybe. soon Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's something coming out in the Resident Evil. Maybe something on universe. Netflix? Probably. Like maybe an animated movie? I don't yeah, know. Probably. Either way, you're going to have to wait for like 40 or 39 <laughs> movies before you can actually start yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I've, that's that's the bar. I've seen all of them. And I think it's after the third one where they like totally change their attitude. Like, all right, we're mm. just going to have fun with this. And it's 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 just fun. It's <laughs> sure unbridled, nice. ridiculous fun, in my opinion. I okay. Mean, it's, and it's, it's, it's not good, but it's... Sure. I had a great time with everyone. I'll put it that way. Okay. Nice. Yeah, nice. I think I only saw like the third one. Yeah, um, because I went down to Evansville to visit Mike when it was in theaters, and like it was on a night where he had like his movie night, mm-hmm. and like that was the only like he left it up to me, and like the only options that were there were uh, Resident Evil three or Jackass three, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, Resident yeah. Evil, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know. Nice. Um, gotcha. Well, congratulations on finishing the Happy Valley project. And Thank you. I believe you've already stated, at least on Patreon, what you're doing next, but uh, it is already in progress. Do you want to tell us about, uh, I was going to say, uh, D, uh, die <laughs> dollar sign knee? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. that, that's the correct pronunciation. <laughs> that's nice. canon. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, so I'm uh, kind of doing something similar and when i pitched it to evan he mm-hmm. ran it by uh i think it was nick rogers who mm-hmm. he runs the site with yeah and nick's response was something like that's even more deranged than happy valley <laughs> seriously <laughs> so uh i'm covering all of the uh disney uh home of like direct-to-video sequels prequels spin-offs wow. of uh, theatrical releases. So, wow, how many of those are there? Thirty-six. Oh, okay. Hmm. <laughs> that honestly, I I would have thought more. I you really know, yeah. Thought more. So so do I. Yeah. Technically, there are 
but um, there's a you couple. You want to remain I've, sane. <laughs> well, yeah, most likely. Um, but I, through my research, there have been a couple where technically they're movies, but like Disney, they they developed these TV shows, right? And um, the movies that they put together are just like episodes of whatever tv show that they that got canceled or whatever Mm -hmm. like there's a hercules movie that's just like three episodes of the tv show that failed so Uh, okay i am not gonna be covering those so interesting yeah okay so if if i did then there would be more plus there's like there's a handful that are like mickey mouse stories Mm -hmm. and like tinkerbell movies yeah i'm not gonna do those Right. So, so Happy Madison had 46. Disney only has 36. Mm-hmm. Does that mean we can officially refer to Happy Madison as a juggernaut? Like, oh, a, God. <laughs> a juggernaut of the industry like Disney? They've, they've got what? Almost <laughs> twice as many as the MCU at this point? Yeah. Fuck. Oh, God. That's 20... disturbing. Yeah. Because MCU has Jesus. 22, 23? 23 now, I think. Yeah. With Black 23 Widow. or 24. I think 24. Something. I think Black Widow was 24. Okay. Because I want to say Endgame was twenty two, mm. home or uh, Far From Home was mm-hmm. twenty three, okay. and then Black Widow was twenty four. Gotcha. Plus the MCU shows. Anyways, that's bananas. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, well, Is, that's great. Uh, what has posted so far? From Disney. Yeah. Um, Return of Jafar was the first one, mm. uh, and then just earlier today was Aladdin and the King of Thieves. Okay. Um, wow. Next week <laughs> is the. Uh, honey, we shrunk ourselves. Oh, <laughs> nice. Okay. What's, yeah. what's the oldest one? Is there stuff like mm. from the 80s, 70s? No, uh, I'm doing it chronologically. So, okay. Uh, that was my next King question. King of Thieves was the, or okay. Return of Jafar was the first one. So that's probably yeah. like ni- okay. early 90s, maybe mid 90s. 95? Okay. Oh, okay. 97, maybe. Gotcha. Hmm. Yeah. I was wondering if you're going to have to slog through some like, like, I don't know. Uh, like Cinderella. The, I was trying to think of like uh, like uh, a different form of uh, transportation <laughs> for Willy, like oh. <laughs> like st- steam engine Willy. Like right. I don't know. Like uh, yeah. I don't know. Um, locomotive Horse Willy. Horse and carriage. I don't know. <laughs> <Willy>. <laughs> no, it's pretty much every property that they have uh, produced will eventually have a mm. uh, home release sequel. Gotcha. And that also is probably why, like, the release is, like, 95, because it's direct to home video, mm-hmm. and home video wasn't as prevalent, like, or yeah. existed. <laughs> it's it's not going to post for a couple more weeks, but mm-hmm. I'm especially proud of the uh, extremely goofy movie uh, okay. <laughs> essay that I wrote. So nice. be on the lookout for that. That's cool. awesome. I'll put a link in the show notes to where you can find his mm-hmm. Disney uh, essays. Well, that's awesome. Uh, congrats. And, and have have you guys heard of the... Uh, there's going to be more Happy Madison. Oh, Jesus. Oh, speaking of which... Where is Adam Sandler taking his friends on vacation <laughs> next? Uh, it's... Well, there's, there's actually two that I have come across. Uh, one is called Hustle, uh, okay. which does star Adam Sandler, Queen Latifah, Ben Foster and Robert Duvall. Ben Foster? And Robert Duvall? Uh-huh. Huh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, so it's hmm. uh, a former basketball recruiter tries to remake his career by being, bringing a player from overseas to play in the NBA. So huh. hmm. I don't 
I don't know a whole lot about like when it's going to come out. Filming okay. began in October 2020. I don't know when it's going to come out. Or Interesting. Anything? Wow. Any other details? But the other one that kind of <laughs> blew my mind is the this one. I think was just announced the other day, or some news came across it. Mm. I, I forget why. Um, Tiny, I'm I'm sure you are, but Matt, are you familiar with uh, the Bounty Gate scandal in the NFL? Bounty Gate? No. I don't think I remember that either because I'm I'm not a big NFL fan. Mm. Uh, Sean Payton, the New Orleans Saints. So in, no, I don't. I'm not familiar. Can I with it. can I take a guess at what it is? Sure. Okay. I was going to be snarky <laughs> and and sarcastic and everything, but is it something to do with like a contract, like a sponsorship contract with Bounty Paper Towels? No. Okay. <sighs> Damn it. So Good close. Guess. I should have done the joke answer. Okay, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> uh, no, it's uh. uh the New Orleans Saints, they there was a scandal where um, their like defensive coordinator was like rewarding their players for like injuring their opponents. Oh, um, and Sean Payton, who's the uh, coach of the Saints, kind of like knew about it and was suspended for the entire season in hmm. 2012 because wow. of it. Wow! And so, <laughs> uh, I, I'm fairly certain and i'm trying i was trying to find the uh the yeah it's a, it's a happy madison production kevin james is going to play sean payton <laughs> okay <laughs> and uh huh. let me read you the rest of this cast taylor lautner rob schneider jackie rob schneider <laughs> sorry <laughs> uh and just a ton of other just alan covert of course no oh, yeah uh just so They're strange. Making, making that into what I assume is a comedy. I like, was going to say, like, how many fart jokes can you put into that? It, I I cannot take that at face value as anything other than a comedy. Yeah. And wow. It is. And it's, I mean, it's. Because that's not funny. No, it's, yeah, <laughs> no that's, that's what I was going to say. Like, it sounds like a very serious thing. As a former athlete, that's like, yeah. you don't do <laughs> it, that. Especially like, in a sport that is so prone to brain injuries right, and stuff, right. to purposely try to injure another player, like, mm-hmm. wow. fuck. And, I mean, based on what I know about Happy Madison, they're not going to be critical of the NFL. Right, <laughs> right. So yeah, right. It, it's it's going to be weird. I mean, I mean there there is wow. a school... <laughs> that we played sports against and when I was in high school and they mm-hmm. played really dirty and we fucking hated them. And to this day, when I drive by that school, I flip it off. Really? <laughs> and I drive by that school a lot. Is it, nice. a, is it a school that I would have seceded? It is not that. Damn it. I was really hoping That's it would be That's a good guess. That. Okay. Um, no, I just want to make that pun. I respect Cecina. They were a good program. Oh, okay. Uh, I really do. <laughs> what um, school was it? Let's let's lay down the dirt here. Are their colors the same color as this uh, blanket on the table? Um, no, okay. no, it's not our rival. Okay. Which, oh, okay. uh, it's not Ritter. Cardinal Ritter. It's not Ritter. No. Yeah. Um, again, I have some respect for Ritter. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, I don't, I don't care. I mean, I'm not disparaging an individual <laughs> person. I'm just going to say who it is. It's South, South Putnam. Oh, okay. They were very dirty and yeah. racist. Oh, when interesting. When we played them in football. And, wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, Indiana racist? I right? know, right? Who'd have thought? Wow. Um, cause like we, we were in this conference that, um, we played a lot of rural schools. Yeah. Like we had to drive an hour for some of our games. Mm-hmm. And like, honestly, we were the only team with black kids. Oh, yeah. Um, and yeah, they, uh, I think South Putnam was the only one where we, we ran into like, 
like blatant racism and, and very uh, racial slurs being thrown around on the field and things like that. Jeez. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh. Our friend, uh, our mutual friend, Kyle. Oh, yeah. Um, How's it e- feel, Ben? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, even more so than me, just despises oh, uh, yeah. South Putnam yeah, nice. for that reason. So, yeah. Nice. And I have to go work there. Oh. <laughs> uh, I've been there to work before, so, yeah, uh, it's funny. Wow. Just it's more of a right. joke than anything that I do. Sure. That, but anyway. Did you try telling them? Like, maybe they don't know that they're racist. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. Or do you just lean into it, and when you go to work there and stuff, you just have, like, a boombox and you play Cotton Eye Joe? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. No, I would play Fight the Power. No, nice. Like in. Like in Do the Right Thing. Do the Right Thing. Segway. Which, which we'll we are definitely talking talk about tonight. Talk about tonight. <laughs> right. Um yeah, what, what else? The Emmy nominations? Did you guys skim that at all? I didn't. Yeah, Me either, a really. little bit. Ted yeah. Lasso got like the most, the most um, nominations for a freshman yes. comedy series yes. of all time. Jeez. Beat the record held by Glee. Oh wow! Wow. Yeah, third. Uh, oh no, wait. Um, Apple scores thirty-five. Apple scored thirty-five Emmy nominations, including twenty for hit series Ted Lasso, which makes Emmy history as the most nominated freshman comedy series ever. Huh? Yeah, that does insane. seem like a fun show. I haven't watched any of it. No. Have no, you watched yeah. it, Ben? Yes. Is yeah. it pretty good? Uh, I like it a lot. Yeah. Nice. nice. Uh, Do you keep- want me to put you on the spot for something that you said you might do? Uh, on the website? Yeah, I'm I'm going to hold myself accountable. Okay. Uh, yeah, be on the lookout He's going to do website. commentary tracks for every episode backwards <laughs> and forwards. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> going to get a tattoo. Yes. Uh, yeah, uh, weekly coverage of Ted Lasso season 2 cool. uh, on nice. the website. Be on the lookout for that. Very nice. Neato. Yeah. Sweet. Uh, Take a guess as to how many Emmy nominations that Hamilton got. Oh, Ooh. it got a lot. <laughs> um, Eight. Higher. Shit. Eighteen. Lower. Fifteen. Lower. Twelve. Twelve. Correct. I was going to say, oh, I was thinking twelve because of the <laughs> colonies. Uh, <laughs> there were thirteen. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's insane. And I noticed that... Um, Saturday Night Live, um, like, is listed. It's kind of weird. The nominees were kind of weird. Like, um, guest, guest actor in a comedy series. There's like three hosts for SNL. Yeah. Ooh. I don't understand yeah, that. I, yeah. I think that's a regular kind of thing. Okay. It? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. yeah. The Emmys are weird. We yeah. don't have to talk about it a whole lot. No. No. Hmm. I did have a random thought. This is completely. This is this is worthy of Patreon and not the main episode. <laughs> um, but I just thought, like, oh, what if like there is no Jeff Bezos? Like he doesn't exist. But the person that we know as Jeff Bezos is just like a person that is a fictitious person and an actor hired to play the like the most the most rich man in the in the world or whatever. And that the real person who has all that money and who has started Amazon and everything is just like the, someone who's staying low. Like laying low and everything, and it's all like a front. And I don't know. CEO entrepreneur, yes. born in 1964, <laughs> Jeffrey, Jeffrey Bezos. Uh, well, he'd be the luckiest actor in the history of actors because um, yes. someone on TikTok used that song 
oh. and played it to a video of his yacht. Oh, like God. They, they were on their boat. In Capri. Well, that's the thing. In my th- in my <laughs> idea, he, this actor is just like uh, just along for the ride. Okay, like he's like he's not he's not living the life of Jeff Bezos. He's living like the public image of Jeff Bezos. Gotcha. Like he's a dude with. Like, so he doesn't a, actually get to use the yacht. No, only when only when filming. Um, <laughs> I'll take it. Okay. Holy shit! That fucking thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Had to be the most expensive yacht in the history. Of According yachts. to Wikipedia, this Jeff Bezos is uh, his his uh, net whatever is uh, net worth is two hundred and twelve billion dollars. That's that's a chunk of change. I thought it was more than that. That's but, just based on Wikipedia. So I fuck him. I don't know. <laughs> that's a lot of Dr Pepper Zero. It is. It is. Yeah. By the way, invoice is going to be in the mail <laughs> um, for that. Um, okay. Well, so Emmys talk done. Uh, what else should we talk about? Should we go into Roger the Roger Ebert's great movies? Yes. We should, yes. All right. Well, we are going to go into our Ebert's great movies list, uh, reviews here. And just to, as I usually do, I'm going to read the quote from Roger Ebert regarding his great movies essays list and essays and everything. Uh, his quote is, quote, one of the gifts a movie lover can give another is the title of a wonderful film they have not yet discovered. Here are more than 300 reconsiderations and appreciations of movies from the distant past to the recent past, all of movies that I consider worthy of being called great. And the concept, of course, is that we each select a single movie from Ebert's Great Movies list and review and discuss them in a special series of podcast episodes. So I'm going to play the jingle for the uh, Ebert's Great Movies list uh, thing, and then when we come back, we're going to be talking about Star Wars up so here we go. No name is more synonymous with film criticism than Roger Ebert's. Even now, my voice is reaching millions throughout the world. Millions of despairing men, women, and children. People say, do film critics have too much power? For those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. We can help a movie. We can help a movie by sharing our enthusiasm. We can't necessarily hurt a movie that is destined to be a big hit anyway. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. And then Roger Ebert gets up. What I uh, find very offensive and condescending about your statement is nobody would say to a bunch of white filmmakers, how could you do this to your people? Let us all unite! All right, so Star Wars is the first up on this uh, this episode. Um, Star Wars from 1990, well, 1977, 1993 or whatever. Right. Um, Technically, the one that I watched was the 90s uh, remix. Actually, I would say that it is also the, like, 2019 remix because of the McClunky thing. Clunky um, thing. You guys, you, you, you guys heard about this? You I have seen not. This? Uh, apparently, when Disney Plus launched and they put like they they put um, Star Wars in 4K for the first time, like ever. Okay. And apparently, in whatever deal that they had with Lucas or whatever, like whatever version, like there was one other change, like additional change that was made, and it's where Greedo. Now I guess they shoot at the same time or something oh, okay. or I don't really give a shit. Yeah. But um but Greedo, like right before the shot is fired, Greedo just says, McClunky. Really? It fucking serves no purpose I, or anything. Uh I kind of noticed that on yeah. this watch. Really? Yeah, and I didn't know that it was added there. Yep. 
Okay. Huh. So yeah, I didn't anyway. know about that. I've I've never been interested in the Who Shot First thing. Yeah, no, it's me never. Either. As a big fan, still never interested in me because mm-hmm. I don't care. You know what's interesting is I've never really been interested in Star Wars. <laughs> right. Uh. <laughs> it's like so is Han Solo less cool now? Like, come on, right. it doesn't it, change anything. It it doesn't. Right. It's. It's dumb. But anyway, um, so, uh, yeah, so let's celebrate these Ebert Scream movies. <laughs> I was going to text Ben mm-hmm. subtly and be like, what's the over-under on Matt's ridiculously <laughs> condescending Star Wars jokes? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, seriously, like 10. Like, I think that's a good over-under. That's... Yeah. And and I think that I'll... I think because of the, the stature and import of... Of this project that we're doing, it is it is Ebert, and he is you know I'll limit it to like maybe seven. Okay. Um, but <laughs> uh, the plot summary, courtesy of IMDb, is Luke Skywalker joins forces with a Jedi Knight, a cocky pilot, a Wookiee, and two droids to save the galaxy from the Empire's uh, world-destroying battle station, while also attempting to rescue Princess Leia from the mysterious Darth Vader. Um, so. We're going to do a non-spoiler and spoiler review. Um, although, I mean, are this, we? I, I'm <laughs> just wondering, like, this movie is so iconic. Like, right. who is yeah. not going to? Anyway, we'll still do a non-spoiler I and spoiler to review. Veto that. Yeah, tiny deal breaker. Not deal breaker. Well, maybe deal breaker. Tiebreaker. <laughs> Tiebreaker. I'd say we can go ahead and skip. Yeah, just okay. Go straight. Well, for it's this Star Wars. For this movie, we'll go spoilers on just because it is so ubiquitous in our culture and everything. Uh, mm-hmm. But for the other ones, we'll do non-spoiler and spoiler. That's review. Yeah. Okay, so spoilers on for Star Wars 1977, um, Episode 4, A New Hope. It is a time of civil war, and I can't remember the rest of it. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so first off, I mean, not to get too in the weeds with this, but what kind of go around the table and what is, what is everyone's history with, uh, with this movie, um, in particular? I, you know, I don't know when I saw this for the first time. I'm not hmm. sure how old I was. I think I was like five or six. Um, I know I've told the story on the podcast before, but like I wasn't aware of Star Wars, mm-hmm. wasn't a thing, and I was probably like in kindergarten, and I was at like a used toy store with my with my mom, mm-hmm. and I saw like an action figure of, um, uh, wow, um, Luke, no, um, Boba Fett, son of a bitch, this is killing me, Jabba, uh, Jabba the Hutt, thank okay. you, thank you, yeah. god damn, <laughs> um. And I was like, what the fuck is that? That's so weird. What is happening here? And my mom was like, oh, that's from like this big movie. I was like, I want, we need to see that movie. I want to see that movie. And we watched it. I was like, oh, that's cool. And it like, that kind of started my fandom. But I think I was probably around six or seven when I first watched it. But, uh, you know, I've been a big Star Wars fan for a Mm -hmm. long time. And uh, this is one of the better ones. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Ben, how about you? Yeah, I uh, just like that. I don't remember the first time that I watched it. I have a vague rem- memory. I don't know how old I was, but I have a vagrant memory of my dad trying to get me to watch it, and I <laughs> wasn't interested. Uh, and then eventually I did uh, and really loved it. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know... I mean, I wasn't, you know, like a diehard. I didn't have action figures or mm. uh, posters. Well, I had I had an episode one poster because I was in like sixth grade when mm-hmm. it came out. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I remember loving it. Uh, and then Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Uh, so 
yeah, I, I, it's it's been a part of my life for most of it. Yeah, nice. Um, so it has always been on the periphery of my life. Um, mm-hmm. when I was probably six or seven, actually, um, my neighbor, um, was babysitting me and my sister, and I remember he w- like he was a huge science fiction and and Star Wars fan. Um, they had uh they had two dogs. Um, uh, Casper and then Jordy, uh, named after Jordy LaForge in mm-hmm. Star Trek, uh, Next Generation. Um, and like he had all the memorabilia and everything. He was really into, into, uh, uh, science fiction and Star Wars, which like, I, I mean, as a kid, I didn't really gravitate toward that. It was until, it wasn't until like my late teens, early twenties that I kind of really got into that type of, you know, genre stuff. But I remember him sitting down and, and, uh, like, like putting on star, star Wars for us and everything. And I was like, my immediate thought was like, why is this out of sequence? Why are we watching the fourth one? <laughs> what happened before? <clears throat> I don't even know if this, this, uh, I don't even know if this big villain guy, I don't know how, how he feels about sand. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if he suddenly has an English accent, whereas in the, uh, previous installments of the chronology, he has an, Eng- uh, like an American accent. I, I don't know. Um, yeah, so I, I didn't know any of that information. So, um, uh, yeah, yeah, oh God, I, and like, it's interesting because like, okay, I've done all the spiel, like I've, I've watched it and like, I've seen all the movies and I like the first one and I've, I've grown to appreciate Empire as well. And as far as the prequels, I mean, kind of garbage and the sequels, I really like The Last Jedi, but I don't, I don't have any real desire to watch it. The best Star Wars thing I've seen is The Mandalorian. Mm. Um, and I think that's specifically because A, um, it's, it's more, it's more kind of episodic, which is silly to say because, you know, the whole serialized <laughs> thing. Right. Um, but it's, it's very, it's very, uh, it, it pays homage to, like the samurai stuff that I love too. Yeah. Um, so, so in other words, I don't really like Star Wars, but I wore a seven samurai shirt to work today. So, <laughs> um, that should tell you everything. Um, so, um, but no, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm never going to be a, a hardcore Star Wars fan and yeah. spoiler for this discussion, but I have always said that, okay, a new hope is, is, probably the best mm-hmm. and like the best paced it's it's inventive it's imaginative it's very interesting but like this viewing i i i liked it still but i feel like every time i revisit it i'm gonna like it less and less from mm-hmm. here on out because okay. like i'm just so disconnected from it yeah um yeah so i don't know so yeah what do you guys think about everything i just said <laughs> <clears throat> well uh Matt, I guess you kind of in a roundabout way just mm-hmm. answered this, but Tiny, how often do you actually watch the original trilogy? Because I nowhere near as often as I used to. Yeah. Because the the sequels since they've come out since 2015 have really, especially the Rise of Skywalker, mm-hmm. really soured my whole um, enthusiasm for the entire franchise. Did it ruin yeah. your childhood? <laughs> <laughs> no, I would never say that. I think that's a ridiculous statement, but it... Um, Tiny has all of these messages about how a woman shouldn't be a Jedi. Right? It's very weird. <laughs> very <laughs> so off-putting. Just bring back the bikini. I don't know. <laughs> um, 
but no, I it didn't ruin the franchise for me, but mm-hmm. it's it just sullied my opinion of it. Um, mm-hmm. but to to bounce off what Matt said, I think the Mandalorian is the best Star Wars property that's come out in my lifetime mm-hmm. because the original trilogy came out. I think uh, um, Return of the Jedi was eighty six. I think seventy seventy seven was the original. Empire was eighty. Yeah. <laughs> Return of the Jedi was eighty three. Was it eighty three? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I don't know why I'm doing it like that. Like I know this information, you know that, right? So that was four years before I was born. So mm-hmm. I do think those well, are some of the best. But like I, I think the Mandalorian is better than anything else that's come out since nineteen eighty seven. I mean, so. if you don't count the remastered uh, right. original right. trilogy which that came out in the late mm. 90s, which I saw in theaters. I was going to ask if either of you saw the remastered in theaters. I, I remember think, yeah. it being such a huge deal and right. me being like, oh, I think, yeah, I'll, I'll talk about this. I'll tell tell me about that, and then I'll I'll interrupt you guys with something else. Yeah, I, I saw the first one. That's the only one I saw. <laughs> okay, so, okay. Um, this one. But yeah, I, um, yeah, I, it's been a... It, I watched the movies with Paige when we first met because mm-hmm. she had never seen any of them. She didn't mm-hmm. know any of it. And and she still dated you. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, that was around when um, Force Awakens came out. Right. And I, I like Force Awakens. I do mm-hmm. like that movie. I think mm-hmm. it's a good one. Um, and so my enthusiasm was starting to grow at that point. And I was like, oh, I think, you know, I have some issues with this, but I think they're going to do a really good job with the next two movies. And, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> um, uh but yeah, that that was I think the last time I watched them. So that was probably like 2015. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 I uh, kind of similar to that my wife had never seen the original trilogy before The Force Awakens, so I got her to watch that before mm-hmm. we went to see that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Cool. Hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. One of the other things that I kind of think I don't know. I, oh, I don't know. This this might be too into my psyche and everything, but I kind of feel like I, I, maybe it might be hard for people living today to (laughs) remember or, uh, or to put into perspective what like the star Wars, at least from my experience, what the star Wars kind of fandom was before, like in the early days of the internet or before the internet, Mm -hmm. because it had this, and really, this is more, and again, I'm fully admitting this is my own, like, childhood insecurities and everything. But, like, I had this nagging thing in my head, like, oh, Star Wars is for nerds. I don't want to be <laughs> yeah. a nerd. Right. Um, And it just had this, like, black mark on it. And, I mean, that's stupid. It's ridiculously stupid. <laughs> um, And, and yeah, I don't know. Do, no, I, yeah. I don't think you're alone there. I think there okay. was that real stigma. With, you know, being a Star Wars fan. Yeah. Or yeah. science fiction um, fan in general. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. I, I remember um, there was like an MTV show, uh, like True Life or something. And okay. one of them, there was a couple that like were huge Star Wars fans. Mm-hmm. And they like got married at a Star Wars convention. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of presented as this kind of weird not like mocking but this weird like out there oddball Mm -hmm. kind of thing like kind of fringe lifestyle kind of thing yeah and today it's just that would just be just nothing yeah you know do you think that that's because and this might be a tangent and i apologize but do you think that that's because the property and genre entertainment and everything is is more mainstream now or is it because 
Or is it because people are just like less dicks about it or a mixture of both or I don't know. I, I think it's because nerd, nerd cult culture quite a while ago went mainstream. Yeah. I, I'd say, I mean, late 2000s. It just yeah. it just mainstreamed. I, mm. I think Marvel was a big part of that, but right. comic book movies started coming out and they were fucking mm-hmm. cool. And yeah. everybody, bros, thought they were cool, you know. And that elevated, I think, nerd culture. And people actually started paying attention to nerd culture, and it became cool. And it still is. And see that, that I think that's yeah. the biggest thing. That mm-hmm. plus, yeah, the rise of the internet and mm-hmm. just every right, the, everything has a as has a niche fan base now yeah, right. no matter how small or this podcast <laughs> um, yeah patreon.com slash obsessive viewer <laughs> um yeah I, I that's that's a good point i agree i i mean the late 2000s i was wearing my high school letterman jacket and drinking beer and and watching sports <laughs> <Yeah>. and <laughs> going to know, parties every friday going night. to parties every friday night <laughs> um looking in the window wondering if i was gonna nerds. be invited yes yes <laughs> Um, but yeah, so anyway, uh, anyway, I mean, we could talk all day about the cultural right. significance of Star Wars, much to my chagrin. <laughs> I did want to make the, uh, how did you phrase it, Tiny? The condescending joke. That, <laughs> yeah. Um, just in this, as an aside, um, unrelated and everything, I just want to say that I, uh, have, I've been, I've been playing or I recently played the Mass Effect trilogy because Tiny, I saw you looking at the art book on, I my, did, yes. on my table. Yeah. So I played the entire Mass Effect trilogy Legendary Edition remaster. And I just got to say, it's just so nice to have, have like a really great science fiction trilogy <laughs> in my life. So I don't know, space alien type of, of, uh, of trilogy. It's, it's really great with really great characters. So that's what's been missing from my life. I um, should go. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. Nice. God damn I'll it. I'll join you. That's awesome. Um, but anyway, so that was a Mass Effect reference. Yes. For those who oh. I should go. I, I thought you were being serious. No. Yeah. No. I, I was being serious. <laughs> um okay, so let's talk about the actual movie. Do you guys yeah. want to do that mm-hmm. on this movie review podcast? That <laughs> right. we have? Um, well, I mean, <laughs> part of talking about Star Wars is talking about its legacy. I mean, yeah. yes. Star Wars changed hollywood you know mm-hmm. changed True. it you know from a production standpoint uh visual effects mm-hmm. um characters and world building all of that yeah, yeah. it's yeah. It kind of goes hand in hand the business side of it too yeah yeah merchandising right um i was gonna make the joke i made this somewhere somewhere in our podcasting um then, uh just i was th- another dickhead uh star wars thing like um like i just love how detailed it is and everything like uh oh there's this, this planet will be a desert planet <laughs> this this planet will be an ice planet <laughs> this planet will be forest planet forest moon <laughs> um and you know this will be a casino planet and a, a cloud planet um <laughs> So anyway, um, so I did, I did have the actual, like I, when watching this, this time around, I, I, I think, I, I kind of think that it's the, the, this is going to be a made up word, but the sagaization of it, um, is to its detriment. Cause watching it, watching the original now, 
watching it as a standalone movie, like it is supposed to be a Flash Gordon serial kind of thing. And it's supposed to be like, like just a, a chapter, like a serial episode of, of a bigger story. And I don't know that he, I don't know that Lucas ever wanted to make, like he, like, I read in the trivia that he was so sure it was going to flop that he went on vacation uh, when it premiered with <laughs> Steven Spielberg, and then they came up with Indiana Jones. So, yeah, right. Um, so, like, I just imagine, like, I I think that making it a saga and making it, oh, this is a nine point nine part, like down the, down the road, obviously a nine part Skywalker saga, and having all of these spinoffs and everything to to further the mythology and everything. I kind of feel like that works against it in, in the kind of abstract mm -hmm. because, uh, cause like I was watching it this time and I was just like, okay, I, like I, I've, I've got such a bug up my ass about lost and the critics of lost <laughs> that when watching this, I was like, okay, if, if you think if, if you're annoyed or if you criticize lost because it didn't quote unquote answer all of your questions, but you forgive all of the inconsistencies in star Wars and everything, you, your opinion isn't that valid. <laughs> right. That'd be um, an interesting Venn diagram to see. Yeah. The crossover. Yeah. Yep. And I had, I had posted that on my Letterboxd review of Star Wars and uh, friend of the show, Evan, uh, of the aforementioned Midwest Home Journal, had commented on it. He's a huge Star Wars fan. Um, right. He said, I don't mind the inconsistencies because such things are the nature of serials. What does bother me is when people pretend like only the ones they don't like have inconsistencies. And my response to that was, yeah, I think that goes for pretty much any fandom. Quote, this thing is my favorite, so it's impervious to criticism, is just annoying. And I put, sincerely, the person who just complained about Lost's critics. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, anyway, how do you guys feel about the serialization aspect and the sagaization of, of Star Wars? And then we can actually talk about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's... Uh... I, I don't know about you guys, but I was like, I was kind of struck this time just by how little of the uh, Star Wars, you know, the mythology and uh, even the stuff about the Force is kind of absent from this. You right. Know? Mm -hmm. um, there's there's the scene with uh, Obi-Wan and Han Solo and all of them on the Millennium Falcon. And mm -hmm. then there, there isn't really a whole lot more than that, you know? Right. Um, so it's it's kind of incredible just how uh how I guess it's just having the benefit of having the rest of those movies just how much uh how much more I thought there would have been in this one, you know. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Totally. I guess I kind of like conflated the original one with what comes after. Well, and what's in this movie is incongruous with everything else in the saga. Mm -hmm. Um, like, and like, like I made the joke about, you know, Vader having an English accent when, uh, Anakin didn't have any accent. <laughs> um, and like I had looked on like YouTube or something, and this is something that bugs me a lot, um, in general with, with fandom in general, not just Star Wars, just fandom. When people make their fandom of something, more about their personal identity rather than objectively viewing yeah. the art. Right. Check out Tower Junkies at towerjunkiespot.com <laughs> and Anthology. Um, but when someone said like, uh, someone was like, why does he have a, why does he have an accent in the original trilogy, but the prequels doesn't? And then someone was like, well, 
you know, maybe it's because of the, 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 the suit and the respirator and everything. And I'm like, okay, don't, I, that's one of my pet peeves is yeah. fans doing the grunt work, doing the leg work for creative people that are creating art and, right. and trying to fit together these like, like Lego pieces with, mm-hmm. um, whatever the other, other kind of, what's the, what was the other like toy tinkering thing? That Tinker, the, Tinker Toys. T- was it Tinker Toys? What was it? Lincoln, Lincoln Log. Logs. No, well, I can do that for this comparison. I'm trying to fit Lego Legos with Lincoln Logs and everything. Yeah. Um, no, a Rector set. Oh, a Rector set. That's what set. I was thinking yeah. of. I was trying to think of what they use in Sandlot. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Anyway, so, yeah, that that bothered me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you guys think? And have ever, what what's up? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the... What was I going to say about the saga stuff? Um or the serialization of it. I think it's, I think the reason that a lot of people come back to this movie is because of the simplicity of it. Mm-hmm. Because it, the whole franchise got so complicated. Yeah. I mean, trade disputes, fuck. Right. Um, no, it just, it got so up its own ass and just, mm-hmm. this one is so simple and easy to, I'm not say it's simplistic or anything, but it's just straightforward. It's straightforward. Yeah. It's straightforward. Yeah. And I think that's why this one, usually people point to it as their favorite and honestly it's kind of the best yeah and and i mean in and like i make a lot of jokes about star wars like obviously like i do and it's Mm -hmm. like it's not my cup of tea i don't really give a shit about it (laughs) that much (laughs) but there is absolutely no denying there is no denying whatsoever that this movie is culturally like a massive touchstone in in not only our pop culture but just like in the influence of like kids in 1977 watched this movie and grew up that like their world was changed by this movie, mm-hmm. whether it's them becoming filmmakers or becoming more interested in like science and everything or science fiction. Um, like that it, it completely changed them. Like even if, if like so much so that like a filmmaker, like a kid could see this movie and become a filmmaker. And then as an adult remake the movie um, and slap episode, uh, seven on it <laughs> right it's it's the same fucking movie guys <laughs> the force awakens is the same movie it really is it's it is so like watching it this time i like watching the original this time i was just i was just i was so confused like jj abrams did that <laughs> like yeah. uh yeah it's it was uh, that bo- that really really bothers me <laughs> um then of course Ryan Johnson comes and makes a great movie, and then everyone shits on him because it's not a Star Wars movie. <laughs> right? Fucking fandom. Um, so anyway, so the actual movie—it's straightforward. Um, mm. How do you feel about the lightsabers? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think what works about it again is just how simple it is, mm-hmm. and it's also, um, I, I think the characters are fun, and there's, there's, there's always somebody to relate to on screen, mm-hmm. um, and the. You know, Luke being a teenager with dreams and has these grand dreams, and all of a sudden he's mm-hmm. he's thrust into this the biggest conflict in the universe, literally. Yeah. And he's after it, wanting to join it so much, right? After being on the equivalent of like the middle of Kansas, right? Right. As far as the universe, the context of the universe, and this, he's like a a random kid from a farm in Kansas, and he turns mm-hmm. out to you know be the savior of a world war. Mm. It's that kind of a comparison type mm-hmm. thing. Um, I think that's really 
that's just fun. And I think that's one of the cooler parts of the movie that I, I guess I never focused on a lot when I was watching it in the past. And I think, I think it's just sort of fun to watch Luke be thrown into this whole, this whole dynamic of the intergalactic war. Yeah. Um, that's really fun. And, and just the, the team up of this ragtag group of people who meet on this, again, this distant planet and they find their way to this, the most destructive force in the universe and mm-hmm. they have this ragtag plan about stopping it and it's it just all comes together and works and it's you know it's it's just a a classic kind of story in a whole new world mm-hmm. um a new fantastic point of view um no one to tell us no or where to go don't you dare close your eyes <laughs> I am not picking this up. <laughs> is that um, is that the lyrics of the whole new world? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I accidentally said a line from it and I just kept yeah. going with it. That I, was completely unintentional. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um. Anyways, yeah. I think I think it's it boils down to the simplicity of it mm-hmm. and, and straightforwardness of mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Nice. Anyways, um, Ben. Yeah. Uh, to me, what I picked up on this time around was the uh the world building mm-hmm. uh to go along. I mean, not not to mention the stuff that Tiny said, but yeah, just um, I knew that the cantina scene was kind of famous and that a bunch of people point to it as very uh, like this is kind of Star War- the the appeal of Star Wars, you know, distilled into a bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really stood out to me this time. Like there are just so many characters that they just feel so rich and so uh he doesn't you know he doesn't go out of his way to outline like who everyone is or what mm-hmm. they do or what their deal is but you get such a sense that they're they're real lived in characters you know mm-hmm. just from the small glimpses that you get and it's kind of funny we you could say that about the other two movies that we're going to talk about tonight. Mm. Um, and just the, the, the cantina scene, I feel like is just, uh, I don't know. There's not, not to mention, you know, the, the visual effects, the costumes, Mm -hmm. uh, all of that was just groundbreaking. Yeah. And and to know that they did this with like a shoestring budget, basically an independent movie. Yeah. 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 And I agree, George Lucas doesn't write three-dimensional characters, but um, <laughs> uh, no, I I will say visually, it it is it is stunning. It is it is absolutely stunning, and I absolutely understand why it captured the imagination of kids in the seventies and and decades th- throughout decades now. Um, I I absolutely understand that. The thing that I really really dislike. Um, that I find myself growing to dislike more and more is honestly the, the screenwriting, both the dialogue and the storytelling itself. Like they like uh, it. I'm going to play a clip from <laughs> robot chicken that is set. It is, it is a, it is a parody of the scene where it's after Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, <laughs> uh, old Ben Kenobi. I wonder if they mean old Obi, old, uh, old Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, 
referencing to family. How many are we up to now? Time (laughs) at least (laughs) several, (laughs) several. Um, But this clip is a parody of that scene where after Ben has died, um, uh, and and uh, Princess Leia is comforting um, what's his face, Luke, um, on the Millennium Falcon. Luke, what's wrong? I just can't believe Ben's gone. Oh, did the 80-year-old man you just met yesterday die? I mean, sorry if I didn't notice. I was a little busy thinking about my entire family and the other (laughs) 2 billion people from Alderaan who were just vaporized into dust about three hours ago. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, so that sums up a lot of what I some of the like criticisms that I've I found myself kind of contemplating while watching this movie talking about like the the idea of demonstrating the Death Star to blow up Alderaan in front of Princess Leia at like as a as a use of torture to get her to to tell where the rebel base is that mm-hmm. is very compelling that is very tragic and compelling and everything but I feel like the movie does nothing with it um it it is it should be this even even in the respect of in in terms of the hierarchy of villains and everything it's it's Tarkin who orders the hit mm-hmm. and who does it and everything there's no like Tarkin is just on the on the Death Star when it blows up and that's the end of the character yeah and it's just like I like the structure of the storytelling like there's not like a beat for Princess Leia to have an arc and everything other than being the damsel in distress which fine it's the 70s whatever but it's also like it just feels like I was just watching it thinking like okay well Darth Vader Darth Vader is threatening and imposing and everything he kills Obi-Wan but Obi-Wan kind of was asking for it um <laughs> and but he he's not the person that does the worst thing in the movie <laughs> and the person right. that does the worst thing in the movie has no ramifications of that except for being blown up with like the rest of his team it's it's just it felt very i i, I couldn't latch on to it like i could in previous viewings hmm. um yeah so anyway it is a shame sort of how uh, you know like i guess Alderaan being destroyed should have been like a mm-hmm. rallying cry yeah for the rebels mm-hmm. and like it's that should have been used like even in the next movies right it could have been you know remember Alderaan mm-hmm. kind of thing and the rebels have all these recruits coming in and mm-hmm. stuff like that and that could have been part of the depth of the story but that's I mean that's one area where I know Matt agrees and a lot of people agree mm-hmm. who aren't Star Wars fans is that people talk about this world and this universe being so wide and so vast and everything but i i think the universe and the world that george lucas built lacks depth and mm-hmm. it it might have a bunch of like there's you can list off you know 19 or 90 different fucking vehicles mm-hmm. from yeah. an adat walker and a millennium falcon oh there's all these different vehicles but it's like okay what like you can't get into the politics or the yeah. um any you know, there's a million or fuck a billion different mm-hmm. species and there's not any mention of any like, uh, like racism or like, right. uh, conflict between them hardly at all. There was a clip. Uh, Mandalorian did it though. Uh, yeah. With, with, uh, yep. uh, Mandalore and the Jedi or like mm-hmm. the, the, um, yeah, the Mandalorians and the Jedi have this ancient yeah. battle and like, mm-hmm. or this ancient conflict and like, mm-hmm. there's like none of that in the movies. It's yeah. It's kind of funny that it has that image of this huge, vast universe mm. and world, but it's actually lacking in a lot of ways. And yeah, I think what Matt 
just talked about is an example of it. Like mm. they didn't really use the Alderaan thing that well. Yeah. And and honestly, we don't even know and I don't remember if it's it's probably mentioned in like a book or something, but we don't even know what the defining topographic characteristic of Alderaan was where like right. it, we don't know if it was a desert planet, we don't know if it was an ocean planet. <laughs> we don't know we don't know what kind of planet it was to have its single defining characteristic. So yeah. Um but when you said remember Alderaan and everything that just reminded me that the inciting incident of the Expanse series is a water hauler being exploded by a Martian navy vessel. Um that the the water hauler is called the Canterbury. Mm. Uh and so like it becomes a rallying cry for the belters in that story to right. like they keep saying remember Remember the cant. Um, so it's just, it's really nice to have a nine part installment of a science fiction spacefaring series <laughs> of books to, to really, really sink my teeth into. Because um, you don't really have that anywhere else. Cute. <laughs> uh, yeah, what else? What, what, do you, what else do you guys want me to shit on with this movie? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know. We can move on. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah um, yeah. Oh, oh, I did want to mention the lightsaber duel, the duel between uh, Obi-Wan and Vader. Mm-hmm. I found it interesting because that part in this, in this movie, I found I, I was more in, invested in than I was, than I have been in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, I think specifically because when I was a kid, I think I watched them, I watched them properly like when the prequels were still out and the prequels did all these acrobatics and these crazy stuff, Mm -hmm. which looks so cool Mm -hmm. (laughs) and everything. And then I see like, Oh, this old fucking guy (laughs) is like swinging a sword at someone at this other old fucking guy. I noticed that too. And how it was almost kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, Right. But this time around I I was kind of digging it and I, yeah. Maybe it's because I've I've watched a lot in my time of uh, samurai movies where they have similar type of duels with blades. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I was more I was more into it. How do you guys feel yeah. about the lightsaber duel? I mean, the newer movies and everything have the advantage of CGI. Yeah. Um, like for example, um, in the prequels, um, I'm trying to think of. This is terrible. I can't remember the name of uh, Christopher Lee played Count Dooku. Oh, Count yeah. Dooku. Yeah. Um, he was like 70 something. Right. right. And you know, he's in the movie, he's Count Dooku's jumping around doing backflips in a lightsaber mm-hmm. fight. CGI, right? Yeah. They couldn't do that with Alec, super realistic. with Alec Guinness in 1977. Right, they could, yeah. couldn't do that. Um, so, Nor I mean, should they have. Like right. they shouldn't have. Like <laughs> right. that, that, that's why it works. Right. Right. Um, and, but, but I think yeah. at, when this movie came out, it's kind of goofy that it's the mm-hmm. fourth installment in this in the in the story. Mm-hmm. It's like if we had had the context of the first three episodes, you could have presented that fight as two grizzled old men mm-hmm. who all they can really do is they don't have the physical ability to wield these swords anymore. Yeah, and the the fight you know outside of that context is pathetic. But mm-hmm. if you have it in that context, it makes more sense. And like they could, you know, if there were better, excuse me, if there were better filmmaking technology back then, you could have had them have more of a, a force mm-hmm. fight, um, which in, in some of the prequels, there's a lot more of that, you know, where they yeah. use the force against each, against each other. And like, I think of episode three, um, where Palpatine and Yoda have their fight in like yeah. the, the Senate chambers, mm-hmm. which is a pretty cool part of mm-hmm. that movie. And it looks really awesome. And they're mostly using the force, right? Like throwing things at right. each other. And it's fucking cool. Like, mm-hmm. It would have been cool to see that with 
Obi-Wan and Darth Vader in this movie. But again, it's just, it's the trickiness and the odd kind of odd choice that, (laughs) that George Lucas made to have this be the first installment with the fourth episode. Yeah. Well, I mean, it makes sense because it's supposed to be like a serial, like it's supposed to be a thing, but but yeah. start with the first episode. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, true. I, um, I, I think his reasoning, because his reasoning is episode four has a lot more action and it's a lot more fun. Okay. That was his reasoning for it. He was like, huh. you know, episode one and two and three, with their fucking trade disputes and shit. I don't know if and he had that all mapped out, though. He had it He had it in his head, but okay. I don't know if he had it written down. Um, okay. But he was like, oh, I'm going to start with episode four because it's got a lot more action in it. And okay. That's why he started with, he was like, it's going to be more fun for the audience. They'll be able to, it's a better end to the, mm-hmm. to the franchise. That was his mm-hmm. reasoning. And I was like, at the time, I was like, I, I, I've accepted it this whole time, but I mm-hmm. don't think it's necessarily logical and i don't know if it's sound reasoning just I, maybe that's just me because i'm more of a you know straightforward sure linear chronological chronological kind of person but yeah. Yeah. plus he probably hadn't figured out the uh, jar jar binks costume right completely. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite thing in the movie and we can kind of start moving on and everything because we're mm-hmm. running a little bit low on time is that's that like kind of iconic scene where we first see the force choke of of darth vader mm-hmm. when the guy's like um uh, says something like, "Oh, you are, uh, oh God, what does he say? Something like, something like you, you're still." I find your lack of faith disturbing. No, 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 He's not that. What the other guy clinging says, to clinging the old to, ways. yes, oh, yeah. clinging to that ancient religion of yours. Right. What I love about that is that the ancient religion, 16 years ago, was just all around the world or all around the galaxy and everything in the in the prequels. So it's kind right. of like, it's like if Darth Vader took out like a flip phone and then someone's like, oh, you're playing with this ancient technology and everything right. from 16 years ago. Right. Coruscant so, literally has a Jedi temple. Yeah. Coruscant. Oh, the city, the city planet. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh. <laughs> um, anyway. Have 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 I alienated? You have, yeah. Okay. Uh, shall we wrap up this portion of this? Episode? We have to get Matt away from this. We do. <laughs> we do. Uh, okay. So yeah. Overall thoughts. Um, thumbs up from you guys. Oh yeah, total thumbs up. I mean, yeah, obviously. Okay. Yeah. All right. Star yep. rating out of five. 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 Okay. I'd give it a four and a half. Okay. Yeah. Um, previous to this viewing, I had it a four, but this time, I honestly, I knocked it down to a three. Um, <laughs> I still give it a thumbs up. Um, just because it is imaginative, it is visually just amazing. It's, and again, that, like that, um, influence is undeniable. Like mm-hmm. watching like the, um, the trench run and watching like all, like the X wings and everything, like that whole final like battle sequence and stuff. I'm like, like it's, it's amazing to me just how much like Independence Day paid homage to that and ripped that off. Right. Um, so it's just, it's really, it's really, it's, it's good filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, just the story. Oh, that was the other thing I wanted to say. The dialogue, I think is just fucking atrocious. Um, in a lot of parts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I agree. Your worshipfulness. But I was um, going to town and pick up some power converters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like every single scene of Han, uh, talking to Leia, I'm like, just shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, okay, your worshipfulness, your your highness. Like, okay, I get what you're, I get what the idea is, but then also, it's dumb. It's very heavy handed. Very heavy handed. Yeah. So having said that, heavy handed or not, would you guys put this on you know, on your theoretical list of great movies? Sure. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I. 
I won't. Okay. I won't put it on my list of great movies. I mean, three stars. That's, yeah. I, I understand why yeah. you put it off. Okay. okay. Yeah. And I would replace it with, you know, um, I did not think of what I would replace it with. I would replace it with Star Wars The Last Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> because I love that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Cool. All right, cool. So that is our review of Star Wars. Next up, we're going to uh, review Spike Lee's 1989 film, Do the Right Thing. And to break up this uh, section, I'm going to play probably some more Ebert stuff. Created an atmosphere that really involved me. I was surprised how caught up I got in this movie and in the behavior of the characters. This is a very good movie that is sometimes hard to watch because of the level of violence and depravity that is unusual even among crime films. The words right, they have the words exactly right. You what I like too was the stylistic freedom they gave themselves. All right, do the right thing. As I said, was uh, was uh, from 1989, Spike Lee film uh, on the hottest day of the year on a street in the Bedford Stuyvesant uh, section of Brooklyn. Everyone's hate and bigotry smolders and builds until it explodes into violence. So, uh, you guys, we're going to do a non-spoiler and spoiler review for this one. So, in broad terms, why don't you guys tell me what your history is with this movie and uh, let me know what you thought about uh, Do the Right Thing overall. Go ahead, Matt. Um, I had only seen this once before, and it wasn't that long ago. Um, for whatever reason, I just had never seen it. Um, I like Spike Lee as a filmmaker. Uh, I feel like I have seen less than half of his movies, but the ones that I have seen, I like, uh, for the most part. Um, and yeah, this, this movie is just kind of, uh, it's a, another kind of cultural touchstone in a different Mm -hmm. way. Um, just a real, like Spike Lee is just such a, such a unique filmmaker. Like he, Mm -hmm. his way of storytelling is just so unique and so personal. It feels like that's, that's why I like him so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's fair. Absolutely. And by the way, it is streaming on Peacock, which thank you, Ben, for letting me know that Mm -hmm. because that's how I watched it. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, Tiny. I have like I have like no history with this movie. This was mm-hmm. my first time ever seeing it. Wow. Um I didn't even really know anything about this movie um until probably like 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um and I've just never I just never gotten around to watching it. Um I have kind of a love-hate thing with with uh <laughs> with um Spike Lee. Yeah, with Spike Lee. Um cuz he'll he'll come out with a movie like last year. Yeah, The, the Five Bloods. Mm-hmm. Fucking love that movie. It's fantastic. Hell yeah. Um, but then he'll he just comes out with some some random kind of turd kind of movies like uh, <laughs> the Miracle at Saint Anna was not a good movie and just hmm. uh, he's had some other ones that I uh, am not a fan of. Um, but he's got so many great movies. Um, just uh, great Black ones Klansman. out there. Black Klansman. Mm-hmm. I mean, Twenty uh, Fifth Hours, great movie. Um, yeah. Inside Man, really cool thriller. Mm-hmm. Like he can hop into genres that way. I think that's really cool. Um, Malcolm X. Malcolm, I haven't yeah. seen that one either. That's okay. another one I need to see. But uh, but yeah, I, th- I think he. My issue with him is I think his politics take take a front. They kind of take over sometimes, and in, in a way where I just want to see the story, and I just want to watch the movie, um, and and I think the. 
his 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 politics that he infuses in his stories, which can be an amazing thing, I think can overwhelm the story and overwhelm character development, plot development. It just can overwhelm the movie and just really take the viewer out of the movie. And I think his politics are obvious. I mean, obviously they're important to him and they're important to the movies, but I think he uses them in the wrong way sometimes because it, at, to the detriment of the film, in my opinion. Hmm. Um, and, and I, and I, I would make that statement with some of his great movies, um, including this one and 25th hour. I, I think, mm-hmm. I think the politics just become too much and it, 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 he, he's too heavy handed with it to, to reuse a term from earlier. Um, and it, it, it just can take away from it. But, um, there's no denying that he, he makes his movies for himself and he doesn't, that's, that didn't come out right, but he makes, he makes his movies his way mm-hmm. because, that's the only way he knows how to make movies. He's never, mm-hmm. I don't think he's ever once made a decision for any of his movies because he thought it would be like good for the viewer or like, Oh, this is mm-hmm. gonna, this is going to really draw the viewers in, or this is or really like he was trying to please the studio. Exactly. Yeah. He's never yeah. tried to please another person except what his vision is. Yeah. And I respect the shit out of that. So I really respect him as a filmmaker, mm-hmm. even though personally, sometimes I don't always connect with his movies. It's kind um, of, Funny because this movie is an example of, um, I think Paramount or whoever, whatever studio, uh, was first gonna, you know, uh, bankroll it and everything. They were like, Hey, why don't you make, why don't you make these two characters hug at the end of the movie to make it, make mm-hmm. it more sentimental or whatever? And he's like, No, that's a bullshit fucking Hollywood yeah, ending. I'm not gonna right. do that. Nice. And then he took it to what, like Universal Studios or wherever. Right. Ended up making it. Um, so yes, yeah, so that's interesting. Nice. I didn't um, know that. I didn't know that bit of yeah, trivia. Yeah. Interesting. Um yeah, so I this was my first time ever seeing this movie as well. And mm. I'm I'm becoming more and more into uh Spike Lee's filmmaking techniques and his quirks or I I don't want to say quirks cuz that seems a little de- uh, de- diminutive, but I his style is extremely unique and mm-hmm. the way the camera like the way his use of close-ups and wide shots and and the way it moves around it it is it is very unique it's a very unique style and it's something that I'm growing to appreciate and and really really love like I really really was blown away by Black Klansman and even though I didn't I didn't ultimately like like the five bloods as much as a lot of other people did I still respect it for you know how like the performances really and uh, mm-hmm. and like and a lot of the filmmaking techniques and a lot of the the really interesting uses of of perspective and everything and so do the right thing right from the outset um i was blown away <laughs> like i was absolutely blown away by this movie um just the way that um the way that that block that that it that exists in the movie that that is the primary location and all of the different locations within it the way that it's like first of all the color palette the mm-hmm. color design the ever like the um just just like the the vibrancy of it and everything feels like like you get all of these little like not vignettes but you have all of these disparate characters like doing their own thing and 
they all kind of it all comes together obviously at the end but like throughout the movie you know that these characters exist in the same space as these other characters that have nothing to do with the the other characters but it's still such a lived in space and just vibrant and lively and i just i i really really loved the the way that it told the communal storytelling in in the movie mm-hmm. um through the camera and the setting and everything so yeah yeah none of the characters feel like stock characters yeah right. yeah some yeah. of them are kind of like archetypal mm-hmm. archetypical um sure. <laughs> even like john Turturro's character who's mm-hmm. basically just a racist like even he yeah. has some some unique shading to him mm-hmm. uh like all of these people feel like real people um and granted i've never been to new york but mm-hmm. um it feels like Spike Lee just, just maybe didn't know these purple per- people personally, mm-hmm. but knew, uh, people that, you know, had these different traits or, mm-hmm. uh, they, they just all feel so unique. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, I, I was surprised that Spike Lee was in the movie as Mookie. Mm-hmm. Um, Me too. Yeah. Speaking of directors putting themselves in movies. <laughs> right. <laughs> On Patreon, we were talking about M. Night Shyamalan. Um, I, like that character arc was really interesting to me. Um, cause like the, they're all like, it, it feels like a snapshot of, of, just a community and mm-hmm. they have different conflicts and everything. Like you said, John Turturro's character is, is just now not racist, but also he seems like he is a racist who is insecure, which is pre- pretty much all racists. Um, yeah. But he is, he's insecure in that he works in a location that is not his home. Like he doesn't work, like he, he doesn't understand his friends make fun of him because he works in a neighborhood that's not his neighborhood. And he like deep down thinks that he's better than, than the people that occupy this neighborhood and everything. Mm -hmm. And then you have Danny Ayeo's Ayeo or Ayello. How do you, how do you pronounce it? Ayeo, I think. Ayello. Ayello. I always say Ayello, but I'm sure the Italian yeah. pronunciation is like Ayello or something. Okay. You know. Anyway, you have him uh, as <laughs> Sal, who is this, he, um, I had read and, and heard an interview uh, where, like, they were talking about how Danny Ayello had this um, idea that Sal isn't really racist, that he is just, because he, he has respect for the neighborhood and everything, he has that, he has that actual, like, feeling of um respect and and pride in that he has had that had that pizza shop there for 25 years but when the when the tension mounts and everything he he devolves into this kind of race racial epithets and mm-hmm. uh spurts of violence against property and everything um so i just thought that like there are some very interesting character arcs in this movie definitely yeah and i was listening to a podcast um I won't name it here because you should listen to the obsessive viewer. Um, but they were talking about how it has a very Shakespearean kind of stage production thing. And like, definitely. Yeah. Like the character of Smiley is f- very much feels like a, uh, I don't know. I don't know my Shakespeare or anything, but like kind of feels like a character that is uh, like one of those like, uh, characters that just pops up to introduce like, like acts of a play or something. Mm-hmm, yeah. Or the mayor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very much yep. like a, 
philosophical type yeah. injects philosophy here and there. Yeah. 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 And Ozzy Davis was amazing. There's yeah. the two two or three old guys who are mm-hmm. basically just like a Greek chorus kind of. Yes. Yeah, right. Yes. Totally. Totally. Oh, yeah. Um, it just really, it it's really impressive uh, filmmaking and storytelling mm-hmm. um, in it. Um, and it is also very, um, oh, what's the word? Um, relevant. <laughs> That's, that blew me away. Yeah. Like, basically, this is the, the crux of the conflict. Mm-hmm. And this movie could 100% just transfer to 2021. Yeah. That, right. that blew me away. Like, I mean, so much so, like, I mean, we should just get J.J. Abrams on the phone to remake this movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I think that's number 12 for the condescending Star Wars joke. <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, it is, it is incredibly transfer, transferable to our modern hey, right. day from ever, like race relations, yeah. uh, police brutality, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, global gentrification. warming, gentrification. Yeah. Um, like all of these things that are mm-hmm. still, that, <laughs> that are still going on and still having the same amount, like there's been progress, but still having the same amount of attention paid to it. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, um, yeah. It's amazing because yeah. I think all we've all become ex- with the, uh, the advent of the internet and camera mm-hmm. phones and stuff like that. I, you can't deny anymore that there's a, an issue with, uh, the, uh, uh, hardships that, Mm-hmm. the black community in the United States suffers. Like you can't mm-hmm. deny it anymore. And this demonstrated to me, this movie is 33 years old, 30, 32 years old. Yeah. Um, it demonstrated to me just how long, you know, it, just how long the black community has been preaching about these issues mm-hmm. yeah. and they were ignored for so long and people are still trying to ignore them and tell them they're wrong. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, you can go back, obviously, 10 years before 1989 and 10 years before 1979. Just keep going back. And it's like this same issue has been there the whole time. Mm. And it's been worse and worse and worse. And it's, it's, uh, I, th- I think it's so amazing to see this movie in, mm-hmm. in, in this day and age because it's just because of how well it, it, it translates and yeah. how it, it, de- it demonstrates the idea that, this has been an issue forever mm-hmm. and and it's been an issue for a long time that we've ignored. And, um, I, it, it's an amazing legacy that the movie has. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it makes me wonder how much longer it, this, this issue can translate, this movie can translate yeah. across decades and years. And that I, it, it's, it's kind of disturbing. Yeah. That's the thing. Like with the ubiquitousness of technology and and communication Mm -hmm. and being able to like have not only all the information at your fingertips of human knowledge basically (laughs) and have the ability to record something audio or video within just a couple taps uh to document whatever it's funny because like you said like you can't ignore like the 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 horrors that are facing and and uh, like minority groups in the country and everything mm-hmm. you can't do that anymore and to ignore or make excuses or to downplay it is at this point literally just outright racism like you right. can't say like oh well that's not really this like fucking the fucking all lives matter bullshit is like that's yeah. just complete racism white supremacy bullshit like the, the mm-hmm. there's no way around that and I would hope that in another 30 years, <laughs> we won't be seeing uh, do the right thing and be like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, that's true. Only 
Yeah, it, like it's still it's I my hope is that it wouldn't it wouldn't be like, oh yeah, we're still facing all of this stuff. Right. Um yeah. Hopefully there's no George Floyd situation in 30 years. Right. Which right. again is so relatable to mm-hmm. this movie. It's mm-hmm. it's yeah. shocking, really. Yeah. Um I didn't uh do any reading recently about this, but I remember hearing that like the studio was afraid of releasing this when it first came out because they thought there would be race riots because of it after people saw it and just it would make everybody so angry about Mm -hmm. you know how accurate it is and uh the the studio was or someone i maybe it wasn't the studio but someone was afraid of uh of it being released and seen Mm -hmm. so much Mm -hmm. it's it's really funny because if you go to the imdb trivia for do the right thing there is a bunch there's a bunch of information and like i read that and then i went and listened to that podcast i'll go ahead and name drop it drop it unspooled mm-hmm. um they they actually interviewed spike lee on that episode and i was listening to that episode and i was like oh someone literally took everything that he said everything in that episode and just put it onto imdb <laughs> like yeah. it is verbatim exactly so so wow. like it's sourced and everything so um, there were like reviews that came out at the time saying that they were afraid that it was going to cause, you know, black people to riot in the streets and everything and cause unrest. And like one of Spike Lee's retorts to that is like, like that is, that is inherently racist to say that because it's saying that black people are too dumb to realize, like to think for themselves mm-hmm. and that like you don't see a bunch of white white people leaving an Ar- uh like an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie and like like thinking they're like a fucking soldier and commando and everything. Yeah. Um and so yeah, so that like that is again that kind of um subtle bonehead stupid racism stuff that comes out that's the fucking reason that Green Book won and the fucking reason <laughs> that um Driving Miss Daisy did Driving Miss Daisy beat this? Was it no. this even nominated? Uh, it was nominated for a few things. It did best, not win. Yeah, best Danny Aiello won or was nominated. Yeah, for he, supporting, he did not win. Yeah, he lost to Denzel Washington. Uh, I don't know. Okay, I don't think so. Um, give me a minute to pull it up. Okay, but yeah, and and like that is that's very true about those <laughs> kind of reviews. That attitude of the reviews and everything. And I don't know if the studio also said that they were afraid that uh, that it would cause unrest or anything. But it is inherently like like yeah, if you if you think that a complete like <laughs> like uh like if you think that people of color can't differentiate art with with you know whatever like you're inherently thinking that they are you know uh not smart enough to to figure it out and that's inherently racist yeah um yeah oh uh denzel did beat uh nice. Danny for glory? glory glory yes yep. it was also nominated for screenplay right where it mm-hmm. did not win mm-hmm. hmm. um yeah what won best picture that year uh, vamping, vamping, vamping. Yes. Um, can I talk more about racist reviews? Um, because, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Well, uh, I'm eating my words. Uh, Driving Miss Daisy did win. Gotcha. Year. Oh, okay. I thought okay. that Driving Miss Daisy was a later movie. No. So, um, yeah. How yeah. ironic. Yeah. I do have a soft spot for Driving Miss Daisy, though. Oh, uh, yeah. I've right. never seen it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've never seen Green Book, but. Yeah, I it's. Hope, I hope it's not as offensive as Green Book. It's. 
Fucking Green Book. I may, God ne- damn I may it. never see Green Book. Yeah, you're not missing Why anything. Why would you? Yeah. <laughs> if you want to see Vigo Mortensen fold a large pizza <laughs> in half and eat it like a taco, you're missing out. Yep. That uh, is the thing that yeah. happens. Not sure if I want to say that. Yeah. One of my favorite parts in um Oh God, one of one of uh one of Bo Burnham's songs from his inside special is where he says like uh, I think it's the track comedy, but he's talking mm-hmm. about how uh he's a white person who's gonna heal the world with comedy and at one part he says um he says let me channel sandra bullock in the blind side (laughs) (laughs) nice Um, and every time i hear that i just think of like i think of just that crop of white savior 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 movies right Mm -hmm. um should we go into spoilers for do the right thing would that be the right thing to do sure okay yeah um i don't know what i'm gonna play to differentiate so uh yeah we're gonna go into spoilers for do the right thing after this uh brief uh clip what i tell you about that noise what i tell you about the pitch what the fuck are you dead are you fuck you we want the black people on that motherfucking floor of fame now Okay, and spoilers on for Do the Right Thing. Um, so yeah, how did you guys feel about the the rise of the tension and uh, the outcome, the 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 riot and the the kind of the pressure cooker that kind of boils over? Uh, it's uh, really the word that comes to mind is tra- tragic. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the reason that comes to mind is that um, you have this really kind of it's not a good word, but like a nice character in, in, uh, Sal, mm-hmm. you know, and he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's fighting against his, and his, his racist son essentially. And, and, uh, disparaging his ideas throughout the movie and in a way defending the culture of the neighborhood that they work in. Um, and he has all these positive things to say and, uh, inspiring things to say. And in the end he ends up losing his temper and he reverts mm-hmm. to this, these racist words and, and, uh, doing racist things, frankly. And, um, on the other side of that coin, you have Mookie, who uh, is, is, is a, a similar kind of a, a mitigator amongst uh, all the people in this neighborhood and Sal mm-hmm. and, um, is, is not a, uh, is, isn't a radical. He's not a radical. Mm-hmm. He's, he's not an instigator and he's the guy who starts the fucking riot. It's it's really it's a crazy juxtaposition with the beginning and the meat of the movie versus what happens here, and it's really sad because I don't think what happens is representative of those two characters. Like I think they both afterwards, you know, there's the denouement where they mm-hmm. get together and they exchange the money and stuff, and that there's mm-hmm. a bit of comedy in there. Um, but it's I think they both realize they fucked up and and they they screwed up and that they're. That's how I t- in- interpreted it, anyways. I think they both could have acted. They both realized they should have acted differently, hmm. and it yeah. it led to this huge conundrum and this huge riot and everything. And it was just tra- tragic is the word that came to my to my mind with this. And hmm. it, it was amazing. And I, mm-hmm. I think you know, obviously, it, t- tensions rose and it resulted in someone dying. And it was. Mm-hmm. That's that, of course, is tragic. But just I, I think the, the tragedy that stuck out to me is just how, how these two characters really fell away from what they had been building towards the whole movie. 
if that makes sense. That's mm-hmm. how I remember it, I guess. Interesting. Ben, okay. what do you think? Yeah, uh, what I was struck by was just how how quickly it all unfolds. You right, know? right. Uh, and you could say that it's like a, a contrivance, but, I mean, things like this, they, they happen quickly. Right, Not right. that I've been a part of any of them, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They, they just escalate so quickly. Like, um, and... The, the question that I was going to ask you guys is, how did you feel about, because uh, Mookie, like you said, Tiny, is the one that throws the trash can through the window of the restaurant. Mm-hmm. How did you guys feel about, like, yes. did that make sense for his character, or would, there... should it have been someone else, or... There were some, uh, like, I didn't know exactly how to feel about it until I heard the interview with Spike Lee. <laughs> but, uh, there's some interesting, like, um, discussion about that. Like, whether he did that to, like, I guess there's one interpretation where he did that to protect Sal, um, to, uh-huh. to kind of, you know, yeah, take the focus off, take of, the him focus off of him. Take the focus off of him. More on the restaurant. Yeah. But okay. I think the idea that Spike Lee and, intended with that and and has spoken to is that the dude just lost his best friend he just watched his best friend be choked to death um on the street by a police officer and then not only that but like being like being told like oh he's okay like very offhandedly and then see his body be dragged into a police car to be driven away just without anything right Mm -hmm. um like treated like not like a human so i think that 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 the intention or what Spike Lee subscribes to is that it's just like he like he has this anger that he needs to displace that he this anger is built up inside him and that he's yeah. just he's just so angry. And one of the interesting things that I've I've heard talked about about this movie is how how the movie presents almost presents the loss of Sal's like store um, as more prevalent than the loss of radio rahim more tragic um more tragic yeah. and i think that that like from what i've heard and everything in terms of interpretations is meant to be like a like kind of a, like you think about this guys um <laughs> kind mm. of thing like if if you're more attached to this physical building than this person losing their life you might need some self-reflection right mm-hmm. um or you need to change your perspective a little bit so um yeah, I thought that, that was just all of that was very powerful and chaotic and felt felt very um <sighs> sadly fucking authentic. Um yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I do think Mookie's actions are far more defensible obviously mm-hmm. than uh right. than Sal. I mean, I think oh, again, yeah. I I I agree with that. That's what that was my thought too. I was like, you know, he grabbed that trash can and threw it through the window and I was mm-hmm. like, "Oh shit." And like I, well, I, I understood it, but yeah. I felt I feel like later on he may have gone to regret it. But mm-hmm. um, I think again, it's it's absolutely defensible because, like right. you said, his best friend yeah. just got killed. Yeah. And well, yeah. and like what actually really kind of kicked off the violence of it was Sal destroying the the radio um, mm-hmm. with yeah. the baseball bat right. and like him hurling the the N word and everything, which is it's such an interesting and I think carefully depicted scene because you have. Uh, bugging out and Radio Rahim coming into the store and being aggressive. I don't want to say being aggressive toward them, but being like coming in hot and 
like being angry about uh, about uh, the pizza, the pictures on the wall, the, and the pictures on the wall. Mm-hmm. Like, what wasn't Radio Raheem? Wasn't he like he was angry because he couldn't play his radio or something in the store or something? No, he well, he had basically joined up with Bugging Outs. Yeah, yeah, a cause, if you will, to boy- yeah. to boycott sales. Okay, and I think he was just yeah angry throughout yeah. the day. But I think yeah. why he why he joined up with with bugging out was because he had that altercation with sal over the radio yeah which is very kind of intricately written because like on the surface it's like i mean the dude owns a store like he has the right Right. to do that Mm -hmm. but also i think it's this kind of uh i guess i don't want to say power struggle but this this idea that like he doesn't want I think Sal even kind of slips a little bit and says, like, he doesn't want your music in this, in here or anything. Right. It's very kind of quick and subtle and everything in terms of it being like, like trying to oppress someone's, uh, uh, someone's culture in, mm-hmm. in a sense. Um, so like I found myself kind of having this weird internal kind of conversation with myself <laughs> thinking that like, okay, well, I like, okay, this guy owns his business and he has these customers coming in angry at him over something like okay well just i mean you know tell them okay hey yeah i'll put up some put up some uh black people on the wall and you know i you're not like please don't play music and like be polite about it be customer service oriented yeah um but then i'm also like well it is a deeper thing it's a cultural kind of thing and it's this deep-seated um kind of oppression and racism at play so i i don't know yeah as a white guy in Indianapolis, I, <laughs> right. yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's an asshole thing to come into a restaurant blaring fucking music on a on a radio. Yeah, yeah. but there's no need to resort to racist, mm-hmm. you know, calling somebody the n word. That's not right. That's not necessary. It's obviously, an, it's an unprovoked uh, escalation. They both escalated the situation. Yeah, yeah, but. Sal went too far. There are very fine people on both sides. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God damn it. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) Well done. Um, Yeah, let's talk about the angry, the anger monologues. Um, We have all of these different characters spouting. Do you want to recite them? (laughs) Um, No, (laughs) no. All people are really good. All, no, Jesus Christ, all lives matter. Um, fuck. Um, no, I don't want to recite it. But um, it's funny because, Tiny, you brought up 25th Hour. Um, yeah. It's funny because he revisits this kind of thing in 25th Hour, which yeah. I think is directly from the book that 25th Hour was based on. But um, where uh, Monty is yelling at himself in the mirror. But in this context, in this, in 1989, he has all of these characters saying these these monologues at the camera um, that are filled with just racial discrimination across all, all <laughs> to borrow something from, from comedy bang bang of uh, against people of all stars and stripes. Um, <laughs> so how'd you feel about this, this montage? Uh, it, it just kind of matches the tone of the rest of the movie. Really? Uh, yeah. It's just such an in your face kind of, unexpected way to bring these themes uh to the forefront i mm-hmm. mean it kind of matches like the the very opening of the movie is you know rosie mm-hmm. perez dancing to fight the power just very yeah. very aggressively uh and so it's just another way to 
to bring out just what has been bubbling up underneath the surface. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. yeah Tanya, what'd you think of it? Yeah, I agree. It was, mm. it was a more straightforward, uh, way to present the tension that was underlying everything. Yeah. Um, and I think it was, I'm not sure if, uh, what exactly Spike Lee was going for with it, but I think it, mm-hmm. it, it was sort of presented as, this is what someone's actually thinking inside their head or like, this is what they would say behind closed doors yeah, kind of thing. Right. Cause it's all like Ben was saying, it's all below the surface. It's mm-hmm. all, it's underlying tension. It's not, yeah. it's not, it hasn't bubbled over yet. Um, and it's an interesting way to, to showcase it. It's, it's just so, it's so in your face, uh, yeah. literally it's, and figuratively, yeah. um, that it's, it's, it's just, uh, it cuts right to the core of the issue. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting because it's kind of in the middle of the movie too. It's yeah. not really like, it's not even like, it's not when tensions are high. Right. It's not it's yeah. even building to it yet. Or it's, right. not, it's not, it's not coming to the crescendo. Like mm. it's, that's where you kind of expect it, but it's kind of yeah. in the middle and that's just an interesting choice to put it right there. Um, but it, yeah, I, I kind of loved it. Frankly, it, me too. It's, it's kind of like we were saying, like, only Spike Lee could pull something like that. Right. Totally. Like, totally. Yeah. And I just, I love the concept of it being yeah. the bullshit that racist people say behind right. closed doors. Like, you know, yeah. the classic, like you turn your head and look each way. Like I'm not mm-hmm. racist, but right. And then yeah. you turn your head and look each way and you tell your racist joke or whatever. Yeah. It was sort of like a way to bring that to the forefront or, right. um, I guess, uh, what am I trying to say? Just not like, hide behind subtext. Right. Visualize that. Yeah. And, which I think concept. is kind of a brilliant, brilliant move on his sure, part because sure. it is this, I mean, it is the like racist hatred, ignorance, and just blanket aggression. Mm-hmm. And by having it not be at the apex of the drama and having it not be something that's implied through tons of subtext in dialogue and everything by actually confronting it and putting it in front of the camera and addressing it to the audience directly, like almost breaking the fourth wall and having it not just be like, Oh, like just, just be aggression toward just black people or just Italian people, or just having like every single kind of like, like, like uh, racist thought vocalized is just a really, interesting way in 1989 to just present this as like this is this is the film making it so you cannot escape this like you cannot Mm. you cannot make excuses for this you cannot you cannot ignore it like this is this is what a racist is thinking under under the surface yeah um yeah this is your brain on racism (laughs) um (laughs) nice yeah so i i thought that was really interesting um any any final thoughts on do the right thing because we still have one movie to talk about tonight. We do, yeah. <laughs> um, any final thoughts? And no, I think that covers it. For okay. Me. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Such an incredible movie. Mm-hmm. I was really blown away by it. Yeah. I would say it's safe to say thumbs up from all of us. Yeah. Without question. Nice. Yeah. And uh, rating out of five. Five. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I gotta give it a five too. Yeah. Nice. I I gave it a four, but I think in terms of and after talking it out, I'll bump it up to four point five. Nice. Did I say I gave it a five? You no, gave it a I said four. I, okay. Yeah, good. I said I. I thought in my head. I said I gave it a four. I think after this discussion, bump it up to four point five. Yeah. Uh, on our great movies lists. Yes, for sure. All right, great. Well, we are going to 
round out the episode with our final review of the Ebert's Great Movies List review series. This movie is Spirited Away, and I'm going to play music again, and then I'll get back to it. that really involved me. I was surprised how caught up I got in this movie and in the behavior of the characters. This is a very good movie that is sometimes hard to watch because of a level of violence and depravity that is unusual even among crime films. The words right. They have the words exactly right. You know what I like too was the stylistic freedom they gave themselves. Oh, that ended. Okay. <laughs> All right. So our final review for the this evening is Spirited Away, uh, 2001, directed by uh, Hayao Miyazaki. Hayao Miyazaki from Studio Ghibli. 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 Jesus. Ghibli. Okay. Ghibli, Ghibli, I okay. think it is. Uh, Spirited Away from 2001. Uh, plot summary. During her family's move to the suburbs, a sullen 10-year-old girl wanders into a world ruled by gods, witches, and spirits, and where humans are changed into beasts. Um, so, yeah, this is a very highly celebrated movie. Um, and Studio Ghibli is iconic and, and has, I mean, just a, a bunch of... Uh, a bunch of movies in its canon. Are you ever going to do an essay series on those? Who? Uh, putting me on the spot. I am. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be opposed to it. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, well, if you want to do that, Obsessed Viewer, go right ahead. Um, or if you want to uh, be poached by Midwest Film Journal, uh, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So my uh, like my history with Spirited Away, um, I saw this when I was a teenager, I think. And I, it was one of those movies that I watched because like IMDb message boards were like, oh, Spirited Away is amazing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, does it have boobs? I'm a teenager. Um, <laughs> did, did you know at the time that it was about a 10 year old girl? I didn't. And I, well, I, I think I did. And then in my head, that joke did is very off, off oh, color. <laughs> but um, <laughs> thank you for pointing that out. Um, but no, uh, so like I watched it and I don't think I really grasped it. And to be honest, watching it this time, I appreciated it a bit more. But honestly, I, I, I appreciated many parts of it. But I think at the end of the day, I just I didn't really connect with the story or Chihiro's journey. Is that how you pronounce her name? Yeah. Chihiro, okay. Yeah. Chihiro. Yeah. So what did you guys think of Spirited Away? And what's your history with the film? Um, I saw this for the first time seven or eight years ago, somewhere in there. Nice. Um, I hadn't really heard a lot about it. Um, I'm not sure how it got on my radar because I, mm. I, I do not watch anime in the slightest. Mm-hmm. Like, right. It's just not, it's nothing wrong with it at all. It's just not in my wheelhouse. It's not my cup of tea. Um, and so I, I think it's just cause it has, it's probably the most famous anime property that there is. I'm not sure what else would trump it, but... Uh, maybe, yeah. Maybe, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I don't know. I'm not sure what else would... I don't know. Is Pokemon's not considered anime, uh, is it? I don't know. It's Japanese yeah. anime. Yeah. Is it? Okay. So, I wasn't sure. Yeah. I, I don't even know enough about this subgenre to really even comment <laughs> sure. on it. So that's how mm-hmm. oblivious I am to it. But um, mm-hmm. there's no denying that this movie is just really fucking beautiful. Yes. Gorgeous fucking movie. Like, mm-hmm. I... I I I had that thought the first time I saw it and was reinforced with this viewing. Um, But to kind of echo what Matt said, I didn't, I don't necessarily connect with it. I just can't really take my eyes off of it Um, just because it's, it's just like a beautiful piece of art Mm -hmm. um, uh, for me. But uh, sounds like the experience of dating me. (laughs) Can't connect with it, but 
Um, anyway, <laughs> I'm okay, guys. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I think it's just it's so gorgeous <laughs> that it totally deserves praise, and I think people should see it, and even people who aren't into anime would could could find some association with it, and just at the very least enjoy the ride. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's kind of my kind of my association with it, and that's kind of how I relate to it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Ben, how about you? So, um. I ha- I have a very specific memory of reading the newspaper in I don't know 2002 or whenever this came to the states and reading the newspaper and hearing about Spirited Away and how it was possibly the greatest animated movie ever made. Oh yeah. And had not seen it, had heard like whispers about it over the years and then finally I watched it and I have another specific memory of just watching every Miyazaki movie in the summer of 2019 and just devouring them all pretty much one after the other. Wow. Uh, And finally watching this and have been blown away ever since. Like Miyazaki is my favorite director, hands down. Oh, wow. One with a bullet. Wow. Like the way that you Damn. feel about uh, Kurosawa, Matt, mm-hmm. is how I feel about Miyazaki. I wow. love every single one of his movies, even the ones that I, you know, that aren't the greatest. Uh, I think there's just such an artistry and an imagination and a level of creativity mm-hmm. to all of his movies that is just unbelievable to me. Wow. I just, while you were saying that, I just realized that during none of these discussions did I raise the question of why we picked this, picked each movie. <laughs> and I'm kind of glad that I didn't because that just blew my mind a little bit. That's, that's yeah. incredible. I, wow. yeah, I, I love, I have, even though all of these movies are streaming on HBO Max, mm-hmm. I own uh, all of Miyazaki's movies on these collector's edition steelbooks. Oh, nice. Um, I just pre-ordered the last one for my collection the other day uh and in september i'll have them all except for Mm. his first one which is only available on netflix Um, Hmm. they haven't put out a steelbook of that one yet and i don't know if or when they ever will cool but huh yeah wow um just kind of off topic well not off topic tangentially related uh, what's your favorite miyazaki movie is it this or what like uh i it depends on what day you ask me that. Okay. <laughs> um, well, it's it's I, Tuesday. <laughs> I think The Wind Rises is I've heard amazing. such incredible things about it. Yes. It, it is a very different movie from mm-hmm. the rest of his movies, uh, but it is amazing. Uh, this is pretty much undeniable. Mm-hmm. Um, My Neighbor Totoro, which we will mm-hmm. eventually talk about because it's on nice. the list, uh, is great for many different reasons. Uh, Porco Rosso is incredible as well. Just all of them. Wow. All of them are great. Nice. Uh, there's there's different things to love about all of them. Yeah. Was The Wind Rises, was that his final movie before retiring? Or how did that work out with his... It's his latest one. He okay. has one in production right now. Oh, wow. And I think I read last year that it will be out in like three years or something. Oh, so. yeah. Hmm. 
I'm saving up my money now to fly out to Japan to see the premiere. So cool, dude! That would be amazing. <laughs> be so cool, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. it's uh, uh, unofficially on my bucket list to go to Japan. And there's like a nice. a Studio Ghibli like theme park or something. Oh wow! So I plan on going there hmm. if, if anyone wants to uh, set up a Kickstarter for me. <laughs> right. I'm curious. Yeah. Uh, so the other the other movies of his and just other anime movies in general, do you watch them with English dubbing on? That was what I was going to ask. Stuff? I'm curious how it changes. Um, most of them, unfortunately, I have watched uh, the dubbed versions. Okay. Um, not, not for any reason mm. in particular, just I guess I'm just an ugly American. <laughs> <laughs> well, when, when watching foreign movies... I, I am I am adamantly opposed to to dubbing. Me like too. I yeah. I can't yeah. I can't do it. But I made the exception with this one mm-hmm. specifically because it's animated, and I didn't want my eyes to be detracted from the beauty of the animation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think yeah. the dub for this one is fine. Yeah, I mean it's not perfect, but right? It's not yeah. atrocious. Yeah, it's right. right. Yeah. Yep. That, I I watched it this time with the subtitles. So okay. okay. I'd, I'd be curious to see it that way because I, th- yeah. I think the dubbing can really take take the viewer out of it because uh, it can just get kind of cheesy, frankly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's the thing with with the uh, with an animated movie, you're not you're not technically. I think with with live action, like if I were to watch a dub of like Seven Samurai, I feel like there would be a lot lost in translation in the physical performance of the of sure. the actors. Yeah. But with an animated movie, like it's it's all it is different animated. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's true. Yeah, it's a good so, point. Yeah, I um, I won't begrudge anyone that watched the dub version. Like I I'm right. not a purist, so okay. mm-hmm. it, it's not it's not a deal breaker for me. Okay. Um, I will say Porco Rosso. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about a World War II fighter pilot who gets turned oh. into a pig. Okay. And Michael Keaton does the voice of Porco Rosso in that. So. Hmm. Uh, Interesting. It's 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 pretty good. Yeah. Nice. But anyway. So the thing that I was most disconnected about was just kind of the overall journey of Chihiro. Because, um, I mean, maybe I didn't watch it with the strongest attention span I could have for it. Yeah. But going from like, okay, she's... She's a young girl who is moving to a new a new place, leaving behind her life with her family. Or her family is moving and uh, transplanting her from her life to to a new place. Um, they get uh, sidetracked into this magical world where the parents are turned into pigs, and then she goes on this adventure. I don't know exactly what the um growth of her character what what her arc is exactly because I, I think maybe i was just to be frank i was just kind of <laughs> maybe not distracted but i was just too like sensory sensory overload like with all of the beauty and everything but like I, I don't know what the actual kind of completed arc for her journey was like i don't know what i don't know what's i don't want to be uh, diminutive of it but i don't know what substance is there for her character well, for me, the the journey for her is all about like growing up and what it takes to be, what it means to to grow up and like adult responsibilities almost. Um, oh yeah, 
and and that's kind of a theme in a decent amount of Miyazaki's movies. Um, but you know, she she kind of starts the movie out as kind of this whiny, mm-hmm. not necessarily bratty, but mm-hmm. just you know, kind of kid. obnoxious little kid. Yeah. yeah, and then she kind of throughout this this journey, she learns, uh, you know how to how to work <laughs> yeah <laughs> how to how what adult life is having responsibility like yeah yeah maybe if i grow up and watch it i'll have a better <laughs> understanding of it <laughs> i think one of the themes that jumped out to me in this watch through is um how how magnanimous chihiro is because uh it's i mean she she finds she finds ways despite that I first of all, I think this movie has for me, I don't know if I'm off base here. I have I think it has some like almost horror elements to it. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. Because I think the fact that she's separated from her parents and her parents get turned into pigs is mm-hmm. like kind of fucking terrifying. Oh yeah. To me. And oh, she's, yeah. she's in this foreign world. Mm-hmm. The Yababa character and the No Face character are just creepy as shit. Yes. Oh yes. But oh yeah. I mean, gorgeously creepy. Like I beautifully mm-hmm. creepy, but scary. Not yeah. n- nonetheless. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um this and, is not an animated movie to show to your kids. T- right. Totally, totally. Right. And I think despite all those things, there's a dude with six arms running the boiler, and the, that's mm-hmm. fucking scary, right? Yeah. Um, and despite all those things, she finds a way to like help people and help these spirits, like um, the the stink spirit that comes in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like everyone's so off put, and like she gets tasked with helping it, and she's like, "All right, well, I got to do this," and she like yeah. finds a way to help this creature that's so disgusting and off-putting and mm-hmm. she thinks it's injured and so she tries to help it by pulling she thinks there's a she thinks there's a thorn in the side of it and it sounds like so, dating me right <laughs> she's so hyper focused on helping this thing and all the terrible things that happen with the no face character mm. she still kind of befriends it and helps it find a path yeah and um the uh, haku character uh, most famously obviously mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um it's really that that really jumped out to me, and it's kind of amazing that she's a ten year old and has that that uh, opinion and that uh, that stance mm-hmm. throughout the whole movie, and it translates really well. And again, it's it kind of adds to the beauty that such a young, innocent character has all this has such a strong desire to help these creatures. Yeah. Really, uh, mm-hmm. with when really she should just be super focused on getting out of this place and getting her, right. her parents back. Um, it's, it's kind of, it adds to the beauty, I guess, is, is a Mm -hmm. way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And again, just the, the beauty, (laughs) the beauty of the animation is just, it is, it is one of the most breathtaking animated movies I've seen. And to know that there's only like a handful of CGI moments. Right. 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 Like Miyazaki famously like draws a lot of frames by himself. Wow. So unbelievable yeah like i i can't which is why it takes so long for these Mm, movies to to get made well and all the 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 breadth of for lack of a better term species of all these characters Mm -hmm. like there's these these frog type uh characters and there's human-esque characters there's uh little dust creatures and um all the different spirits that are there have Mm -hmm. all these all these different appearances and um, Yababa and her baby trans transform yeah. into different shapes. It's it's in, the imagination is. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's t- 
tons more, in my opinion, tons more imagination in this movie than anything I've ever seen from Disney. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, like full stop. Mm-hmm. I would I would say that you know Disney has this kind of crazy ima- imaginarium and imagineers right. all this imagination. Yeah shit that Walt Disney always talked about. And that's great. And I'm not trying to shit on Disney, but mm-hmm. this movie kind of puts them all to shame in my opinion. Well, it's it's funny you say that because a lot of like the Pixar guys and especially like John mm-hmm. Lasseter, mm-hmm. they all love Miyazaki and they look up to him and Yeah. Um Lasseter I, helped with the US yes, production. Yes. Hmm. Um and yeah, uh I, I couldn't find any like one to one references, but the I I know like a lot of the Pixar guys are very like influenced by Miyazaki and his movies. Okay, and, yeah. Uh, you if you look hard enough, I'm sure you can find them. Sure, uh, mm-hmm. find the references. Yeah. Um, yeah. but to to kind of piggyback off of that, like it just. It's so refreshing to me just how much this deviates from the Disney like formula. Mm-hmm. Like I said, yeah. uh, Chihiro, when she starts out, she's kind of this obnoxious little girl who like she doesn't even want to go on this adventure. Right. It's her parents who go, right. who like drag her along through this tunnel place. And like th- there's, I guess you can say that Yubaba is the villain Mm -hmm. of the movie but even her like she's she's so well-rounded and uh fully realized and everyone just has all these details to them that just they add up to just a a satisfying picture sure you know totally plus like there there aren't really any huge like you know if this was a disney movie there would be like action set pieces and like (laughs) the 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 finale where uh, Chihiro has to like find her parents. There, there's no like, there's no key or some kind of like setup to, Magical to how she, yeah. yeah, how she's able to do it. She right. just, you know, she does it. She'd have two yep. goofy sidekicks. Yes. But right. I mean, she has the little mouse and the, yeah, those, those thing. would be talking. And, right. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. have their own. Right. Shit. Yeah. yeah. Totally. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, should we kind of wind down? Is there anything else to talk about Spirited Away? Uh, I'm sure there is. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I just the... Yeah. the. I, I know Roger Ebert talks about this in his essay, how mm-hmm. there's all these, like, quiet moments in, in yeah. between the movie where just nothing really happens. Like Chihiro Mm -hmm. just kind of like, there's this beautiful shot where she's like sitting on the ledge of the bathhouse and looking out at this train going across Mm -hmm. the water. And it's just this quiet little moment that just is so like, you don't, like I said, you don't see that in Disney movies. Right. Um, Yeah. Just these quiet moments where it just helps everyone just to, to take in the world around them and, just see how beautiful it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is a ton of introspective moments like that. Mm-hmm. That uh, Yeah. It's, it's totally different from any other animated movie I've mm-hmm. seen. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Definitely. It makes me, 
anxious to watch more Miyazaki movies. So yeah. which ones have you seen, Matt? Do you um, Spirited Away. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I think I that's haven't it. Seen it. I haven't seen any others. Princess Mononoke. Yeah. No. I maybe saw that one. I don't remember. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, this is the only one. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I still don't think anime is my cup of tea, but mm. I, I can't deny the gorgeousness and the beauty of yeah. right. what Miyazaki did with this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if he does it in others, I'd be open to seeing those for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 To bring back a question I had when we talked about Kurosawa movies, Ben, what would be your recommendation for the next Miyazaki movie that I should watch? That Tiny and I should watch. Um, yeah. Let's see. Together. <laughs> uh, I think you guys would really like Porco Rosso. Okay. Uh, it's it's very much like kind of a sillier uh, Miyazaki Uh mm-hmm. And yeah, I I, uh, I I for whatever reason I have just always loved that one. Okay, uh, nice. Can you find that somewhere? Like, is it all streaming? Studio Ghibli movies are streaming on HBO Max? Oh, cool, yeah, which okay. is kind of remarkable because for yeah. the longest time they resisted. Like, you can buy or rent their mm-hmm. movies digitally. You could only buy them physically through uh, G Kids, is the the company that distributes uh, them. Wow, so. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and there's even some other uh, ones that uh, Miyazaki didn't direct, like mm-hmm. The Cat Returns and Secret World of Variety that are on mm-hmm. HBO Max, Okay, which cool. I haven't seen any of those. But Interesting. Yeah. Have you ever seen any of his movies in the theater? Because I know that they have like occasionally like f- like Miyazaki film festivals or something, or Studio Ghibli. Funny you should mention things. that, because I just read the other day, yeah, they do have, it's called Ghibli Fest, and... Yeah. They just announced the other day the dates for this year. Nice. Um, uh, Castle in the Sky will be one of them. Spirited Away, which you can count me in for that one. Mm. Uh, My Neighbor Totoro will be there in December. Okay. So, uh, spoiler alert, I will be picking that I, uh, in November, December. I was just going to say this. we should like do like a, like I'll go see it together yeah. in the theater. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I think it. I think Spirited Away is the first one that they'll be showing, and that starts in October. Nice. So, nice. Are you Ben? Are you like a fan of anime? Like opposite of Miyazaki? Like, is there other um, anime that you've been into? I. Uh, do you guys remember the Toonami block on Cartoon Network in like I middle school? Do no, not. Okay. no. It was Cartoon Network. Like had this block from like three to six or something when we were in middle school mm-hmm. and it had like dragon ball z and hmm. gundam wing and a yeah. bunch of other random ones and i would watch those pretty frequently mm-hmm. uh and then stopped like after middle school was over or so um but outside of that not really okay i've heard really great things about attack on titan is that a thing could be yeah <laughs> okay cool. yeah and I'm, I'm just anime in general i i'm not well versed on like mm-hmm. there's probably something that i consider anime that's actually not or things that aren't that i think are uh-huh. and I, I i'm a little fuzzy on the definition of it mm-hmm. i guess but sure uh, but anyways okay. i do like animated stuff but interesting yeah um yeah, so 
will that conclude this review of Spirited Away? Sure. Question? Sure. Yes. Any? All right. So, uh, overall thoughts, ratings out of 10 and thumbs up. Uh, what do you, what say you guys? Thumbs up for sure. Nice. Yeah. Two thumbs up. Nice. Yeah. I got a thumbs up. I gave it four stars. Four stars? Yeah. Ben? Five. Five? Nice. Sweet. Did you do five for all three of these? Yeah. Fuck, that's nice. awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, I gave it a four stars and thumbs up and would be on my great movies list. Your guys' Definitely on my list, yeah. Uh, yes, and it's on my favorite movies of all time list. Nice. Sweet. Well, that's awesome. All right, well, that is our part nine of Ebert's Great Movies List uh, mm-hmm. review series and everything. Now... As we wind down, we're not going to do potpourri because my ass is very sore. <laughs> and uh, uh, But what we are going to do is we are each going to select our next selections for part 10 of... Yeah, 10 yeah. comes after 9. Um, <laughs> part 10 of the Ebert's Great Movies List reviews. So, um, I think, shall we start with Tiny and then go counterclockwise and end with me? Sure, that works. Okay. Tiny, what is your pick for part 10 of the Obsessive Viewer, Ebert's Green Movies um, List review? I think so far I've picked movies I haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm going to pick a movie that I have seen before. Oh. I am going to go with Dog Day Afternoon. Oh, interesting. But it's been okay. a long time since I've watched it, so. Okay. I have not seen that one. Right. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. I I have an interesting anecdote. I have not seen it, but I have read the screenplay <laughs> um, because I was a nerd as a teenager. <laughs> nice. um, what year would, did that come out? I didn't look that up. 70, 70 oh, something. Oh, okay. I think it was John Cazale's last movie. He sounds right. Maybe. Oh, that might be wrong. I don't know. Oh, okay. Do you want to find the plot summary and read it for sure. us? Sure. Uh, it was 1975. Okay. Uh, three amateur bank robbers plan to hold up a bank. A nice, simple robbery. Walk in, take the money, and run. Unfortunately, the supposedly uncomplicated heist suddenly becomes a bizarre nightmare, as everything that could go wrong does. Ah. All right. Cool. Yeah, uh, nice. Do you know offhand if that's streaming anywhere? It is on HBO Max. Nice. Okay. All right, Ben, what do you have for us for next time? All right. So, I could... Uh, go with uh i really thought hard about picking uh the night of the hunter because it has some interesting parallels to do the right thing oh um Hmm. but i am gonna pick uh a movie that i have never seen uh solaris from 1972 oh uh, man cool directed by andre tarkovsky uh plot summary yes Okay, a psychologist is sent to a station orbiting a distant planet in order to discover what has caused the crew to go insane. Hmm. That is so awesome because uh, I I love that movie. I've only seen it once. Hmm. Um, it's weird, <laughs> but it is one that I've wanted to revisit for a long time. Okay. Um, I've never seen it. Interesting. Same. Cool. And it is available on HBO Max. Yes, HBO Max. Um, also available on HBO Max. And somewhat interesting, um, <laughs> my pick is, uh, I'll just read the plot summary, guys. Um, it is all, it is, it is a movie I've seen many, many times. Um, the plot summary is humanity finds a mysterious object buried beneath the lunar surface and sets off to find its origins with the help of HAL 9000, the world's most advanced supercomputer. It is 1968's Stanley Kubrick classic and one of my, my, maybe my 
I think, second or third favorite movie of all time, hmm. 2001, A Space Odyssey, which that's going to be very interesting to discuss uh, yeah. opposite Solaris. Okay. And Dog Day Afternoon. <laughs> when did Space Odyssey... Was that 1967? Uh, 68. 68. 68. Yeah. Yep. Okay. I was just looking at the years. So, mm-hmm. for the three movies we did today, mm-hmm. it spanned <laughs> 1977 to 2001. Mm-hmm. This one is 1968 to 1975. That's funny. Just how that's awesome. How we kind of that's weird. Great minds. Oh yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So we will be back. We'll probably do that next month ish. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Apologies in advance to all the listeners. Uh, Solaris is almost three hours long. Oh really? But in slight spoiler, like a good. 15 to 20 minutes is just very weird abstract film film of a car <laughs> traveling in a tunnel oh. for like 10 or 15 minutes. Hmm, uh, yeah. Kind of like 2001. Uh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I'm I'm not going to cast any aspersions. I actually I really <laughs> love Solaris uh the one time I saw it, but I mean 2001 a Space Odyssey. I'm going to be reading some letterbox reviews that I've written because uh, I just, when I was looking at it, I was like, I'd, I, for some reason I'd forgotten that they did the whole Christopher Nolan unrestored version on in 70 millimeter that I saw like two or three times in the theater. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it was just like, like when that came back in theaters, I was just like, I'm going to see this as many times as I can in the theater <laughs> because this is the, one of the most stunning films I've ever seen. That yep. was amazing. I saw it yeah. at the state when we went to see it at the state theater. Yep. That nice. was pretty nuts. Yeah. So awesome. Yeah. All right. So those are our assignments, guys. And uh, yeah, we will be back soon with another Obsessive Viewer. I think Ben and I are going to hopefully do a Loki uh, season review thing. Tiny, have you watched any of Loki? I haven't. I'm going to wait till it's all out to watch gotcha. it. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, it is going to be all out here in about three hours. Sweet. So, yeah. Um, all right. Well, we will be back on that. Check out Tower Junkies and uh, Anthology, which I need to get back to and everything. But, uh, yeah. Well, b- b- before you do that, I just want to say thank you guys so much for listening. And, uh, yeah. Check out Patreon. Patreon.com slash ObsessiveViewer. Tiny, Ben, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of The Obsessive Viewer. Thank you guys so much for listening. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. Um, yeah, so, okay, here we go. This is DJ Maddie Fresh coming at you from WOV in Indianapolis, where it is currently... 8.55 p.m. <laughs> and we are experiencing, we're in the middle of a very nice uh, cold front with the uh, subbaramic pressures and everything. And uh, to help uh, to help warm me up, we've got the band from Minneapolis, Minnesota, Motion City Soundtrack with their hit song, The Weekends, from their, um, their incredible record, My Dinosaur Life. This is DJ Maddie Fresh. And uh, keep on spinning those records and stuff. This is a very long intro. I forgot that was real. Just want to give you just want to give you guys a reminder that uh, we are going to be doing our annual bake sale at the uh, at the junior high school on 14th Street. And here's much success. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Last <laughs> <laughs>
you pick the songs with the longest intros. I know. Part of that is intentional, but also part of that is I don't know that like. Also, part of it is just it's my favorite. It's these are my favorite songs from these bands. Gotcha. <laughs> Okay, here's this one. Um, this is the latest single from them, which uh, I talked about previously. Hey, kids, we're coming at you with another half hour of straight music on WOV. Up next is So-and-So and So-and-So by the So-and-Sos. This is DJ Tiny Tony. The time is 8.56. Stick around. Oh, fucking goddamn it, really? <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> This what? Is DJ Never telling you that he that he is fired. <laughs> damn it! <laughs> that would have been perfect, almost. That really would have been perfect. <laughs> Son of a bitch! God damn it! The Obsessive Viewer podcast is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to ObsessiveViewer.com/slash/ovarchive. You can also like our Facebook page and join the OV Facebook group at facebook.com slash the obsessive viewer and follow us on Twitter at obsessive viewer and at obsessive tiny and follow our recurring co-hosts at I am Mike white. That's me at R a Fekis and at burger underscore lurker. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Tee Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at teepublic.com, T-E-E, public.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at anthologypod.com and on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at TheSecularPerspective.com. The theme music for The Obsessive Viewer comes courtesy of the band Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty! Kitty!